out to opt in to Monerotopia, a show for the Monero community where all are welcome to join. From noob to maxi, no matter what bags you hold. Just sit back and relax to the sweet sounds of Monero's latest progress. Or if you're feeling inspired, join us on stage. Remember, the only thing that can stop Monero is a false belief that it can be stopped. And if you want to win the revolution faster, we recommend you remove your XMR from all custodial exchanges immediately. Warning, boating accidents are common around here. Don't forget to properly secure your private keys. Monerotopia starts now. Alrighty, good morning. Good morning. How's it going, Tux? It's going. <laughs> Anything new? What's new? What's new with you? That you're really willing to reveal? Um, nothing at the moment. Nothing at the moment. Been dealing with more server issues this week because uh, technology hates me. Apparently, it's a it's a constant battle in in your world, huh? Oh yeah, I'm just having stuff crash. <laughs> and I think I got it fixed this time. I I think so. What do you, what exactly are you trying to do? So I run I run on my server um that runs all the the privacy stuff that I host. Yeah, it's kind of a lot at once. Um, and I'm using something called TrueNAS. Which is um, it's it has a lot of features in one, um, but it's it's not a well, it's TrueNAS scale specifically. Um, it's Linux based, but it's like it's kind of newer and it's kind of not quite there yet. And there's just there's just a lot of weird things I've been having to deal with. So, okay. uh, but that's why I run like the Knitter and the Nvidia server, which are like proxies for Twitter and YouTube. I don't uh, know if you'd use those. Not exactly user friendly. Okay. It is, uh, but it's got some bugs. Got some bugs. How are we doing with XMR Bazaar? I think we're we're, we're still we're still forging ahead, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's definitely been some bumps in the road for, for that for sure. <laughs> uh, but it's still going, it's still going. Okay. Um. All right, man. I guess let's let's get going. We'll we'll try to uh, make this a decent led show today. All right. Let's jump into the price report. Let's do it. The Monerotopia Price Report segment is sponsored by Local Monero. Avoid using KYC exchanges. Buy and sell Monero directly for fiat, peer-to-peer. What's up, guys? Morning, buddy. Yo, morning. How's it going? How's everything going? Pretty good. How you doing? Good. Just trying to um, spend some time on Twitter, convert some maximalists, or (laughs) at least convert the people watching those threads that are not themselves maximalists and on the fence. How's that going? Uh, You know, it's a good practice and patience. I mean, what, what's your feel? I feel like there's there's definitely a lot more converts, right, than than I've I think seen in the past. I think there's quite a lot of Bitcoiners that are not maximalists that are like basically our friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so want to maximize those relationships, yeah, and uh, you know continue trying to sort of draw out the arguments and you know I mean it's it's really like they make it very easy <laughs> to to respond in kind of a, a rude fashion, which is you know maybe a little bit of a tendency I have to get sarcastic when uh you know in response so it's like a good it's a good exercise in patience just like like nope just gonna stay on topic not gonna not gonna let it get away from me just try and uh keep drawing back to the arguments have people been blocking you or you're, you're not too badly okay. although chris black recently was was kind of interesting <laughs> i didn't what? even like i what? wasn't even like that mean to him I, I didn't even say anything too terrible he um, he was like, well, why don't, you know, the val- so it was about Tornado Cash. He's like, well, why aren't the validators in Ethereum, you know, the miners, basically. It's like, uh, those are the ones that should be responsible. 
And I was like, no, Chris, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, like, prohibits that. It's the same reason that you don't arrest the Google CEOs for people sending, like, criminal, you know, conducting criminal activity on the Google platform. Um, that was actually one of the, like, fundamental pieces of the Internet that sort of gave gave us the ability, or I should say the corporations, the ability to build out, um, you know, these big platforms because you don't hold them criminally or legally liable. Right. Um, and as I, I, don't I, said for, I don't think that sorry. applies to money laundering though, right? Um, yeah. I mean, there are some things it doesn't apply to like IP. Um, but I mean, generally in the States, in, in, like they've erred on the side of not holding these companies um, criminally liable or responsible. So it's like, that's something he should know for, you know, someone that's like into technology as much as he says that he is. So I kind of, well, I don't I, even I said that. That, and... that would warrant a block. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, I, know. I respond a lot to his stuff. He doesn't, okay. he doesn't like that. I'm um, Ethereum curious. Okay. <laughs> that you're engaging. It's yeah. funny because he was supposed to come on the show. We might get him on uh, this week. We might do a Monero talk interview with him. So. Oh, cool. Well, I promise not to, you know, get on, <laughs> hop on at the end and start heckling or anything. Yeah, because I wanted to bring him on to talk about the tornado cash stuff because I, my understanding, he does follow pretty closely, but hmm. um, comments like yeah. you're, you know. <laughs> um, it happens. It happens. Twitter, man, it's it's not it's not the best medium for cordial conversation. Right? Really not. Really not. <laughs> yeah, you've only got 280 characters, and you're like, yeah. I can uh, shit post. Uh, and that's easy, or I can like really like narrow down my argument to the absolute core parts of it. I'll just sh- yeah, I've found myself really not tweeting much at all recently in the last couple of months. It's just like it's just exa- exhausting because like I'm sitting there, I'm like gonna tweet, I'm like, but do I want to deal with the responses and what? It's like it's just not worth it. It's yeah, I'll, I'll get to it again though because we gotta we gotta continue to fight the fight because there are a lot of noobs out there that end up you know reading your. You're not going to convince the maxi, right? We know that, but you'll no. you might convince the uh, the unindoctrinated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I even saw someone on Facebook recently that uh, she was like, "Yeah, I, I met a maximalist in real life, and it was just really kind of weird." She was kind of weirded out by the sort of evangelistic religiosity of it all. So, and she's like someone that's been in the freedom community for a while. So, I thought that was interesting um, that she's she's in the freedom community for years, but hasn't really like she doesn't know about the maximalist versus you know basically kind of everyone else <laughs> um yeah, thing going on so yeah i think there's still like there's still people that are that could be interested and that are probably watching from time to time yeah there was that one guy who tweeted uh if something with trump i think you even responded it and he just responded to it he was like oh too bad he didn't like hold his money in bitcoin like referencing that the u.s government's gonna like try to confiscate his funds and I was like, yeah, because nobody's ever confiscated Bitcoin before. And he's like, well, give me one example where they've confiscated Bitcoin from somebody who's holding it, you know. Uh, and uh, I posted the article where it was like, you know, billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin that was confiscated, you know, examples. Department. <laughs> yeah, it's not uh, hard. You didn't have to dig deep or anything. Hardware wallets, right? It wasn't from exchanges and whatnot. And uh, he's like, well, that, that equally applies to Monero. Like, he, he's just still... Like they refuse to get it. They refuse to get. And I think you made a comment, right, about how. Um, what What was your comment? You're, you're like, oh, like comparing Bitcoin to real estate versus Monero to Bitcoin, right? I think was your. Yeah, I said. I said, listen, we can admit that Bitcoin is harder to seize than real estate. If you can admit that Monero is harder to seize than Bitcoin, but, right? Uh, I guess that was too much of an ask. 
I don't understand the disconnect there. They're not mm-hmm. they're not willing to cede on that. Like they, uh, I don't get the logic there. I don't I don't well, get it. You can't um, yeah. you can't convince a man um, to believe something when his salary depends on him not believing it. <laughs> I don't know who said that. Billions and somewhere in the Mark Twain era. Dollars worth of Bitcoin have been confiscated for people, and because of the fact that it's that it's traceable, that's how they were able to to find it and, and seize it. So whatever. Yeah. Um. All right. We try. Moving on. Price report. Let's do it. All right. So, um, oh, I don't really think nothing... uh, we have your screen. Of course, I had it like almost set up, and then I guess I got distracted. Share screen, Streamyard. All right, it should be good now. Hey, already. People, yeah, so people not really listening, uh, just throwing it out there. Just, just share, share, get the word out. Share the link. Share the stream. I see somebody mentioning that. Yeah, we don't say that enough. Just uh, spread the word. Yeah, yeah, I always forget that. Sunita yeah. used to remind me all the time. Nice. I guess she just got tired of reminding me because I kept forgetting to say it. <laughs> um, yeah, and also if you're on YouTube, make sure that you click um, 1080p because uh, otherwise the charts will be all fuzzy. They're still kind of fuzzy. We really need 4K, but what are you going to do? Um, okay, so not really much happened um, this week. Like basically everything crashed just before we got on the horn last week. Um, and then uh, and then basically it's just kind of stayed down. So for example, if we took a look at, uh, at crypto, BTC, um, still kind of the... Still the top dog, still at 50% dominance, um, crash down here, and then it's just kind of flat. Um, this looks kind of like a bar chart, but I don't know which way the next move is going to be. Um, so let's just kind of start with the wave magic, uh, which again is the standard deviation analysis. The white cluster is moving average, the blue cluster is upper standard deviation, and then the orange cluster are lower standard deviations. And again, it's from like across all of the different time frames, you know, 100 day, 1000 day, 50 day, you just overlay everything. So uh, this is a very common pattern that I see is where you'll break down um, the lower standard deviation. Um, and then right here was where it needed to basically get up um, and then stay up. It needed to start like oscillating kind of around here. But instead, the lower standard deviation acted as resistance and then it came back down. Um, honestly, this doesn't look very good. Um, there's still a lot of weakness out there. There are black swans now at this point, kind of, um, I don't know if they're circling, but you know, you can see them, you can see them in the sky. They, they look, they look like they could be interested. Uh, so I don't like how there was just kind of like this, this sort of like reaction bounce here. And you would, you, you kind of expected that this maybe should have gone a bit higher. Um, you can see that I've got this yellow, this yellow circle here. If we go to the daily, that, that circle will make a little bit more sense. Uh, clear the wave match, slows down the charts. Okay. So Basically, we've got this rising wedge that we broke down. We talked about this, um, identified this this chart pattern maybe somewhere in the middle here and said that that's really not good um, and that getting down to here was your signal really to get out, um, to not get trapped there. Usually on a pattern like this, you would kind of expect to try and revisit the underside. Um, typically, that would have even already happened. Um, but unfortunately, I don't know. I just I wouldn't I wouldn't be convinced that price could really get much, much higher than this area right here. I suppose that that perhaps it could, but um, we really are looking at the potential that that things could just keep going down. And probably that my my guess is that probably depends on some stuff that's happening with insiders, maybe with Binance. Um, we really don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes there, but um, there is probably activity going on and it's it's really it's not good. So like my best hope, my best case hope scenario right now for price would be to get back into this area. Um, to try and test the convergence of that underside and and that uh, downsloping resistance, um, but there's really no guarantee that that has to happen because there's plenty of other resistances that that could be hit before we actually get there. Right, this right here is, is a spot that could be resistance. This could be resistance. Um, so, 
anyways, yeah, I mean, that's not like great news here with Price. Uh, sorry to, to be a negative Nancy, a Debbie Downer on that one. Um, let's take a look at the dollar because this one actually, this, this did break out and this is significant. So kind of like we talked about since, you know, for really for months now, um, that this looked to me like a pattern that was eventually going to break to the upside. It was going to break, uh, this resistance area here and that's effectively what's happened. So, um, in my mind, this is dollar strength. This is uh, Dixie strength and likely this will continue to play out. Um, I don't know exactly where, where the end of this run for the dollar will be, but, um, I mean, this is, you know, again, the, the dollar index typically being anti-correlated with risk assets like stocks and crypto. So um, one thing that, that has been nice to see, though, with the dollar index rising is that gold has actually kind of held its own. So um, this is the weekly chart on gold. Let's go to the dealing with congruent timeframes. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, gold did take a little bit of a hit, right? Gold did come down some, um, causing everything to be slow. Okay, so gold did, did come down just a little bit, but... Um, I kind of, uh, I don't know why it escaped me this idea to do this, but I realized that what I could do is, is you could multiply gold by the dollar index. So it's kind of like, okay, when the dollar index rises, typically gold tends to go down. And, and you can really, you can see this here just comparing these two charts. So as the dollar index started rising, you can see on the right that gold was kind of at a, a local high, and then it's sort of been going down. Um, but lately it's, it's kind of rebounded actually, despite gold continuing to go up here in the, in the last few days. So one thing that you can do to kind of like neutralize this sort of anti-correlation is multiply them together, right? Because if gold is, let's suppose that gold stays the same price and the dollar index goes up. Actually, that means gold is doing quite well because you would normally ex expect gold to fall with the dollar index rising. Same thing in reverse. If the, if gold holds steady while the dollar index falls, well, gold isn't doing that great because with the dollar index falling, you'd expect it to rise. So if you multiply them together, you can kind of um, remove that, uh, uh, remove that um, sort of anti-correlation and then get kind of a, a different picture of how gold looks. And the interesting thing to me is that when you do this and you look at it on very long timeframes, you actually see that gold has been consistently steadily rising, um, just, just regularly rising. A lot of that. So one one trick that I think that um, kind of the insiders, the corporate elite, you know, whatever deep state. Uh, one thing that these guys do is they love to hide the reality of what's happening in volatility. Um, so like there's a trend, there's a big trend that can happen over the course of years or even decades sometimes, but they hide it in volatility. Um, and so this chart might be kind of an example of that, where it's like against the dollar index, like when you when you factor that out, gold really has been continuing to rise just consistently over the years. So. <clears throat> that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing to do. It it may or might, may not mean that much, but um, you know, it's it, it's it is good to like try and find different charts, find different correlations if you can. Like like we've talked about, cross check is very important um, to sort of paint a picture and, and try and get an overall understanding of what's really happening. Um, so here's the gold versus silver ratio. So when this chart is moving up, that means gold is more valuable relative to silver. When it's going down, silver is being more valuable. Um, typically, gold tends to spike relative to silver at least on the paper price, uh, whenever we have like financial crises. So for example, March, 2020, um, right now, this is a sideways triangle. I can't decide if it wants to break up or it wants to break down. If it wants to break to the upside, that would indicate some sort of financial crisis brewing. Um, and if it wants to break down, that would indicate that, uh, gold prices are going to start popping, uh, and maybe commodity prices. Um, I really, in a lot of ways, I feel like with all the inflation that we've had, gold has not performed to the level that you would expect it to perform. However, I think back to 1971, and we can we can look at those charts, and you can see that. So when they sever, severed the gold standard, obviously, um, and when inflation really like kicked off, um, it it really did take a little bit of time for gold to get going, right? Like um, 
maybe maybe not exactly, but like you can see that it it took some time here where it was just uh oh wait sorry that's the gold silver ratio. Uh, let's go to the monthly chart. But anyways, in in the 1970s, like when inflation really started kicking off, it really did take some time before gold really started performing. Like okay, it has some upside performance here, um, but it was still 1972 before you started getting the 1973 before you really got like this this big broad move. So. Um, and again, with inflation of the seventies starting to kick off, um, it, there was just kind of like this slight lag between that and gold performance. So, um, I do think gold is like one of your safest assets to just like store value, to, to have your best chance of not losing value and not losing to inflation over long periods of time. Um, and I think the downside on gold is fairly limited. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, it's, um, you know, it, at the same time, like they do try to manage the price. And I think that, Gold tends to perform nowadays when everything else also performs. So it's it's hard to like get the counter cyclical move. Uh, so anyways, this is the gold silver ratio. Um, still in the sideways triangle. We talked about this before. Um, it looks like, like right now, it kind of looks like it wants to break down, right? Like this thing is kind of just flirting with the underside of this line. It hasn't really confirmed that it's, that it's breaking it down or anything. Um, but if this does break this line down convincingly, um, that would indicate that, uh, that we're going to start seeing gold prices move uh, in short order. So, which is interesting because the Dixie wouldn't necessarily suggest that given that there's an anti-correlation, um, you would think, okay, well, if the Dixie has upward pressure, you, you would expect gold to, um, to not perform. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's kind of a little bit of conflicting signal there, but I, I like the idea of holding gold, of being in gold and, um, and keeping a significant portion of your stack. If you're trying to play it safe, um, you know, maybe you've got more risky plays that you want to make. If you're trying to turn, you know, a hundred thousand into a million, or if you really, you got a million you're trying to turn it into 10 million so you could be baller you know um you might take some extra risks you know but hey i mean if you got a million dollars do you really want to take that much risk although how much is a million these days right it's barely enough to to claim you're tired um let's see okay so we've got the uh, federal reserve overnight repurchase agreements and um we talked about this being kind of a bottoming pattern here last week uh this took a sharp drop in the last two days if you see this thing rebound to the upside next week uh that's definitely a bottoming pattern and expect it to go to go up um, a lot of times, <clears throat> and again, with charts, like you still have to understand the fundamentals behind it. No one is like, this isn't a chart where you like clean out the longs and clean out the shorts with big spikes, but, um, uh, it's, it's kind of like, it's related to those things happening. And it, it's sort of a liquidity basket, if you will, for big players to, to make big moves. Um, so this right here probably signifies that some big move was made uh, into some kind of asset. It's hard to say which one, um, my guess is that that probably wouldn't be stocks because, um, uh, or maybe it would have been, I don't know, actually, sorry, I, I take that back, erase that, forget that. Um, okay, 10-year yield, uh, we're still kind of like waiting to to break out, you know, to fresh higher highs. I guess technically that was was a slightly higher high. Um, so as the 10-year 10 10 year yield goes up, that means the value of bonds are going down. Um, you would expect that this is probably, this chart's going to break to the upside even further. I think the Fed is interested in raising rates more. So uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing too is like, this chart wants to go up because that right there was a shooting star wick. Um, and then things kind of like that capped things. But you'll notice like if you were to draw that that horizontal resistance there, like it's already well above and it's closed well above that uh, that previous close price. So this this chart is strength. Um, expect rates to go up. Um, normally, again, you would say rates going up, the, the bond market going down means that people are going to push money into the stock market. But, um, you know, the stock market kind of has its own problems right now. Um, so this being the... Uh, the NASDAQ, um, basically we, you know, had a big breakout, came and tested the bottom, tried to come back up. And now prices are kind of, again, testing, uh, this, what was resistance is now support. 
Um, but it's like kind of double tapping support. So, um, you know, you kind of think that this is going to break down eventually. Maybe it'll do something like that. Uh, and then, and then break to the downside. Um, although it's, you know, it's always dangerous to call the stock market, to call a top in the stock market because the thing just goes up and up and up. Um, but I mean, it does have pullbacks. It takes periodic pullbacks. So it's possible that, um, and I, and I think it's even likely, like I said, it's kind of dangerous to call tops in the stock market. It's kind of dangerous to, to bet on it going down. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it does seem to me reasonable and likely that we could expect the stock market to sort of get back into this channel. Cause that's, that's really, that's the more rational place for it to exist. All of this is kind of exuberance. Um, so that's just something to think about with stocks. You know, you might do something like take a, um, if you didn't want to sell your stocks, you might take some kind of binary option, um, that's out of the money and, uh, put some small amount, some small percentage of your stack on it as kind of like a hedge. Um, so that's like one strategy. There's a lot of different strategies. Uh, nothing really happened with the, uh, with the financials. <clears throat> I guess we got the new, um, federal reserve balance sheet assets. We get them every week, uh, and they dropped just slightly. Not much to see here. Uh, we'd already kind of talked about Bitcoin, so let's go straight to Monero. The inverted yield curves. Or what's going? Is that uh, has that gotten worse, or what's going on with that, buddy? Did I lose you? Hello. <laughs> what is that? That was my soundboard. What's <laughs> <laughs> the wrong button? I'm trying to unmute. What happened? I lost body. Body? Yeah. Um. Hello, hello. Did you mute him? No. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> oh. Okay. What happened there? All right. Well, we'll wait for body to come back. Oh, he's back. We still got a screen, though. <laughs> See if you get him back up. Body. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, I didn't press anything. Nothing changed. In it. I could hear y'all, but... um. Anyway, so I reloaded the uh, webpage. Yeah, I was just asking the inverted yield curves. Is there uh, any new information on that? Are they... Are... They getting worse, better in terms of their inversion. Yeah, just uh, just more sideways chop. This is the daily here. So uh, obviously the white line here is uh, that's zero. Anything below that is inverted. Mm. Um, a little bit of a spike here in the past month, but um, yeah, I mean nothing really. It's just sideways chop basically. So uh, I, mean, I mean, again, I, I, you know, how are you, how are you feeling about it overall though? Like, I mean, do you think it's it's like what? What are the odds you're giving that this inverted yield curve is indicative of a, you know, a recession at this point? Obviously, people have been calling for it for quite a long time, but how how are you currently feeling about it? I think that the danger or the risk of a recession is maybe a little bit higher. It seems like it's growing. The housing market has slowed down significantly. People don't want to sell because they've got their low interest rates. People don't want to buy because they don't want to get that really high interest rate. So the housing market, just the volume is dropping off significantly. Um, but, you know, that kind of in some way might just sort of lock prices where they are as opposed to, um, you know, causing prices to go one way or the other, right? There's not much supply, but there's not much demand. Um, at the same time, like with the Federal Reserve reverse repo facility, um, I think that, that that tends to drive the yield curve, right? That's that mm-hmm. tends to that tends to drive yields higher and higher because you know when you've got basically free interest rates at risk free overnight like you're getting the federal funds rate for one day you know for just minus 0.1% but you're basically getting the federal funds rate for one day bonds is effectively like in my mind that's how i think about that and i know technically that's not exactly true but it, it basically drives the yield curve to stay high i think it, it's driving that yield curve and, and all of these rates to stay somewhat close more closely pegged um to the federal funds rate so 
that being the case, it's like, okay, are, is that going to, is that going to keep things where they are? Is that going to stabilize things? Is that going to keep the yield curve here um, inverted? Because, you know, like 2006, 2007 yield curve being inverted, we weren't in a recession yet. Um, in fact, everything was still going up. So I, right. I'm not sure that the yield curve right now necessarily indicates that we're going to have a recession around the corner. Mm. Um, could, could it pretend, I mean, this is, you know, probably a uh, long shot thinking here could it could it potentially indicate that there's something br- brewing like some kind of black swan event um you know where where some people have the information already that are that are way ahead of us you know like it, there's rumors now that right that there's going to be a ramp up in the the covid stuff again that we may go back until i mean these are these are really kind of long shot rumors but I do see anecdotally like things starting to ramp up a little bit. Um, do you think like it could be indicative of something like that? Like there's a, a, a downturn uh, by way of the government imposing it on people. I mean, it definitely is a data point on that side. Like no doubt about it. Historically like, speaking. Before, before 2020, before the COVID lockdowns, I, I think there was a yield curve inversion then, right? Yeah, let's go ahead and take a look at that backwards, backwards. Um, no, actually, it, it doesn't look like it. So the yield curve wasn't, oh. it almost was inverted. It had gotten like, I think some yield curves had flipped. So like maybe the two year versus the 10 year or like the one year versus the 10 year. Mm. Um, because when they, you know, when you hear yield curve inversion, um, usually they're just comparing a pair, right? They're just looking at one yield uh, maturity length versus the other. But there's, you can see on the left here, I mean, there's three months, six months, one year, two year, five, 10, right. 30. Ones are so, comparing. Right. Yeah. The, the pink line sort of aggregates all that together. Um, so you can have like individual pairs invert, even if like broadly the yield curve is not inverted. So mm-hmm. um, I think there was inversions happening in 19, uh, 2019 and 2020, but I yeah. don't think we were like, we weren't like broadly inverted, um, but we, it did get pretty close to, to zero. Yeah. I'm just throwing it out there as a theory, if it's potentially indicative of some kind of event that's about to happen. So maybe not just like a, a recession that's maybe caused by some event, you know, but uh, one thing that would be indicative of that. So if you take a look here at, at all the different yields, uh, the colored lines and then the white line, the the white line is obviously the federal funds rate. Um, mm-hmm. You'll notice that they like took a steep dive down and started dropping off. So when yields are dropping, that means the value of the bonds increasing because um, as people are piling into bonds, um, that rate doesn't have to be as high. The person offering them, usually, you know, the treasury doesn't have to offer an attractive interest rate anymore because everyone wants their bonds. Um, so they, they lower those rates um, so that they don't have to pay as much in the future. So you'll notice, uh, look at this like February um, of, sorry, February 21st, 2020 is when these yields started cratering mm-hmm. and um, there's March 2nd, right? And then really, I think it was March 4th. No, no, I guess it was March 2nd. It was this week. It was March, like the beginning of March 2nd. That was like the beginning of um, like the, where they said, Hey, we're going to shut things down. We're going to lock things yeah. down. Oh my God, it's terrible. You know, that's where the news cycle really, really took off. So to but me, it started I guess before that, right. It started even before the March, right. Is what you're saying. Like the downturn happened before that. Before yeah, you can general knowledge. Exactly. So yeah. like you can kind of broadly see that yields were meandering on down, but then when they took this really sharp sell off, that's like, this is again, kind of why I tell you guys, like sometimes I'll point things out on charts and like 
you'll have to look at them for yourself in the middle of the week because, uh, you know, it's by the time that we can get here on the horn on Saturday and talk about it, it's probably too late, especially for a signal like this. Cause this signal, when you see like these massive drops like this, it happens and you've got maybe 24 hours to get out of the market. Um, cause the problem is like, you wouldn't look at this sort of like down chop and say, Oh, this is bad. You know, things are, you know, things are about to really crash. You're just like, ah, things are just pulling back. You know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll reverse to the upside here. But it's, you know, basically from that February 19th moment to February um, 20, 28th or uh, March 2nd. Okay, so maybe you've got a week there as things like really curled under and started crashing. Um, you'll notice the the yield curve kind of bounced to the upside. But, you know, that's not really like this wasn't a super sharp bounce to the upside. But the fact that it was correcting to the upside while bond rates were falling was like a massive signal. That's like, that's such mm-hmm. a huge signal. Like you just get out, you smash the sell button, you don't think about it. And then you probably take some kind of option or you take some kind of short on the entire market with some small percentage of your stack. Um, you might take like small percentage, but high leverage um, and say, hey, if I lose it, if the market's bounce back, okay, whatever. But, um, you know, you're, you're effectively protecting yourself. So mm. that's, that's the signal that you want to see if you're like, if you're really concerned that some um, big financial event is in the works, um, is the all of these yields will just curl over and then crash um, because everyone will just be piling into the quote unquote safety of bonds. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's in my mind that's that's the way I look at the yield curve chart. Got it. Yeah, so. feels like we're on the precipice of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel but... like an old man talking about bonds. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in my day, we bought bonds, supported <laughs> the war effort. Exactly. All right. Okay, so uh, let's move on to Monero. Um, so we had some interesting price action with ratio on Monero. Uh, actually, let's go to the, the dollar price. Clear the wave magic. Okay. So uh, yeah, I mean, Monero crashed with everything else. But interestingly enough, it um, at first, Monero crashed less uh, than like Bitcoin, for example. Um, and, then, uh, and then it crashed more somehow, which was sort of this part right there, which uh, I, I think is just, you know, that's just screwing around with the price. Um, interestingly enough, you can, you can kind of see that story being told here on the um, uh, on the uh, the divergences. So basically, all everything diverged up as the price was rising, and then went back to flat, and then everything diverged to the downside um, relative to Kraken. Again, obviously, um, all of the other shitcoin exchanges um, they all diverged to the downside, and that brought Monero down. And now it's like I don't know. I guess they're coming back to the upside. Um, this chart now suddenly seems like it's it's being reflective of. Um, like some of the price movements, whereas for the past few months, I felt like it, it hasn't been all that correlated. Um, but anyways, so I, I do think like this was just kind of BS. Um, you can even kind of see it in the Z scores. All right. So Monero US dollar, you can even kind of see it in the Z scores where we had uh, a lower low uh, on price, but then sort of the Z scores were already recovering. The momentum was already recovering. So um, yeah, I think most of this move down here was just kind of volatility you know maybe it's clearing out some shorts clearing out some longs etc um there's probably not that too many people too much volume trading monero um so you know it's there's probably money to be scalped there if you're a market maker um so yeah the ratio still looks i mean to me this still looks like a bottoming pattern this still looks like um it wants to reverse in a lot of ways to me it looks like oh crap look we uh you know we broke through this kind of downsloping resistance let's try and slam it back to the downside uh, with some trickery and buy some time. Who knows? Maybe these guys even lose money on this proposition, but to them, uh, it's worth it because they keep people distracted into other coins uh, and into Bitcoin, things like that. So it, it's it's possible that that kind of thing goes through their mind when some of these uh, nefarious market makers are deciding, you know, moments they want to try and mess with the price. 
I do think that Monero has significant support. I think it has significant organic support at like kind of the 130, 150 level um, to the point that I think that market makers that want to try and push price down below that um, have to contend with these economic realities. And my guess is they, they probably have to spend money to do that. Um, I'm completely speculating here. So, but you know, that's, I, I'm making inferences. Um, they're highly speculative. So just know that I'm not, I'm not right there making the case, trying to say like, I'm a true believer in that scenario or whatever. But anyways, um, Monero US dollar, the chart does look like overall, if we're just doing, you know, chart astrology, this thing does look like it's ready to break this, this, this line right here. Um, it's ready to start bumping up against this kind of horizontal area of significance, this horizontal resistance that we've seen. And ultimately, I do expect this thing to break to the upside, which again is why I, another point in favor of why we should be concerned about the broader markets and whether or not um, the stocks and crypto have can put on any new local highs for the meantime, at least for the next few months. Um, so would love to see, you know, would love to see some big breakouts, break these lines and then get right back to that point one area. That would be so good. That would be so bullish if that happens. Um, right. So essentially this, uh, the point nine areas, the point nine to um, point one area, point nine five is really like, like that's pretty strong resistance. That's very strong resistance. It's probably possible even that we would have to get up here and then come back down and do something like this with like a rising triangle before Monero could actually really like hardcore breakouts of the upside. You'll notice that sort of, that could correspond with the 2025 bull market if we're, you know, if we're going to go with the pleb, the pleb level four year cycle, which, you know, seems, seems, seems possible. Seems plausible. We've got 2025. There could be potentially a new president coming in. Maybe that's more friendly to crypto. That could drive a lot of uh, momentum. We should see the end uh, or the resolution of a lot of these legal attacks. Um, so it, 2025 still like, I mean, it, it's possible. It, it could happen. If we start seeing the signs line up, um, you know, we'll, we'll prepare ourselves for a bull market, um, which uh, will will definitely mean, you know, Monero, um, but I'm not going to lie, a bull market will involve shit coins uh, whose profits we will roll into Monero uh, down the line. So long term chart there. Uh, let's see. We'll take a look at our at our inverse head and shoulders. You know, the 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 hopium here this is like the biggest Monero hopium chart that we got. Big inverse head and shoulders. We want to see this line break the breaking of this line is also something that I think we can use um, in a social sense. We can plaster this chart across social media and say, look at this massive inverse head and shoulders. Um, inverse head and shoulders or head and shoulders patterns are actually very reliable. I've, I was very suspicious of them. I didn't really look at them too much for quite a few years here. Um, but the more that I've seen them, the more I just like, wow, they just more almost, almost all the time. Like I would say 80 to 90% of the time you get a good head and shoulders pattern like this, they almost always break to the direction they're supposed to. So if we break this line, like that's definitely socially useful to be like, hey guys, look, crypto people, Monero number go up, <laughs> you know, be, being careful, of course, not to get ourselves trapped in those um, in those dubious psycho psychological mechanisms where we only care about number go up. But um, thank you, Maxis, for teaching us that. Uh, you know, I might've not learned that lesson quite so strongly <laughs> without the events of the past couple of years. Uh, we could also take a look at Monero versus Ethereum. Um, this this chart looks like it's basically stabilizing here at these lower standard deviation bands, and I imagine that Monero going up relative to Bitcoin, relative to, to total, also implies Monero going up relative to Ethereum. Um, although the only thing is with this chart here, um, you would we could maybe get to these these upper bands right there, and that's going to eventually pose resistance. Like if we break out relative to Ethereum, that will pose resistance for the Monero versus Ethereum chart, which in a lot of ways kind of makes sense. Um, 
under the thesis that Ethereum is going to outperform Bitcoin, that it's only, it's going to flip Bitcoin in the next bull market unless Bitcoin pulls a rabbit out of the hat. I just, I don't see them. The, the one thing that might work in their favor is they've got NFTs now, so they've got a lot of on-chain degeneracy that can help their price. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe that, that gives them a little bit longer of a holdout, but I still just, it's nothing that you can do on Bitcoin ordinals and inscriptions is as efficient um, and integratedly useful as Ethereum does. So, uh, and we know that crypto is so much about a lot of this degeneracy. So Ethereum is going to be the platform that enables that, but they'll also build out interesting things as well, like other types of financial infrastructure. So um, that's, that's in the cards that's coming. Um, it's still a lot of development still happening. Ethereum layer two is still permission. They still got admin keys. They could still hypothetically clean your funds out, rug you if they want. Um, but I, I do think it makes a lot of sense that the bigger players are probably not going to rug, you know, the billions and billions of dollars inside of layer two. I think it makes more sense to them to keep collecting fees, to keep being in control of a new budding ecosystem and to eventually some of these layer twos, these rollups, uh, it's the big deal is rollups. I think some of these rollups will eventually get the admin keys removed and be trustless platforms. Um, so, but we'll just have to see that's probably still years away again. Um, you know, we've got half of this year and then we've got 2024, until we finally come to you know 2025, so there is still plenty of time for a lot of these developments to happen. Markets often tend to move slowly, so um, you know I think overall I, I think guys we should effectively be prepared for sideways chop um, in Monero, sideways chop in Bitcoin and crypto, um, with kind of some negative down pressures here over the coming months, where um, probably the, the range needs to be established to some downside. We need to to reestablish some kind of support. Um, you know, at a higher low than, than last year. Um, and then it'll probably just range. We'll come to the upside, maybe, you know, start getting close to 30 K again on Bitcoin and then, you know, kind of range back down. And I think that could be like the story effectively of, of from here through maybe the next 12 months. Um, so in that kind of market, it's hard to make money. It's a lot easier to make money in a trending market. Uh, in a sideways market, you have to pick tops and bottoms, and then you never know if maybe it's going to break out and you just, you know, you sold before the big breakout. Um, so, you know, that's just a kind of broad level picture there, broad level strategy, thinking about, you know, when you get into markets, obviously the easiest thing is just to keep DCAing, make, have a real business, make fiat, drop it into crypto, savings, gold, et cetera. Uh, and that's your, that's your easiest strategy to, to keep getting gains. But uh, if you're a dirty trader or if you pay attention to this stuff, you can take advantage when you get a blow off top in progress and, you know, scale out DCA to the downside, DCA out of the risk assets and then DCA back in, you know, at the bottom. Um, you might hold off on your DCA right now and wait for lower prices um, or not. You know, you could just keep buying no matter what. So uh, I guess that's about all I got for you guys, unless um, unless you guys wanted to talk about anything else. No, no. Awesome, brother. That's that's great. As always, stick around, though, if you can. I know we'll be talking about the Tornado Cash stuff, and I know you had some some good insights into that this week on Twitter. So it'd be great if you could stick around for that. Cool. Yeah, I might have to bounce out for a little bit, but I'll, I'll try and get back on here in an hour. All right, cool. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Right, thanks, buddy. Thank you. For the dude astrology. Always love it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sensing something big coming with the with those uh, inverted yield curves. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah the COVID 2.0. It's gonna something, drive it something's even brewing. Something's brewing, guys. All right. Uh, I guess let's go to the dev. Different dev. Right? Let's go. And now for the Monero development segment. Hey, how's it going? 
Digu, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Nothing much. How y'all doing? Chilling. Enjoying the final days of summer over here. Hopefully, uh, yes. Hopefully, <laughs> like October, you know, one of one of the sense. best of global warming. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, it's pretty humid here, so the last days of summer are definitely upon us. <laughs> yeah, what do you got today? Um, I'm just gonna re-go over the Monero Saves tour. It's a story about how um, Tevador's work into random acts well really the history of how we tor is able to use um uh alteration to random x to save his network i think we covered it briefly um i believe like a month ago when it first yeah, came yeah, up, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. like it was that was being demoed i think it released on live i believe like august the 23rd i think like wednesday of this week and i'm covering mainly because um drunk dial me i believe he was also on like a month and a half ago mm-hmm. when i'm mistaken pretty much made this post and then tagged us in it. So I was like, you know, that's what people want to see. So we'll give what people, what people want to yeah, see. Yeah, let's bring it up. It's, it's good. It's important. It's a big topic. Obviously, yeah. Tor, very important technology in the in yes. the digital privacy liberty space, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've adopted, essentially, Monero Tech for purposes of, of solving a problem they had. So uh, bullish in that respect, that's Monero is, you know, once again, kind of on the, on the cutting edge of tech. So it's, it's nice to see this, this happening. Yeah. It, um, that makes perfect sense to me. And I'm going to go quick overview. I want to keep it. I've, I've always had this issue when I'm presenting things, keeping it at the right level, assuming like, I don't want to assume everyone knows what Tor is, what random X is. So it sort of helps. It prevents how deep I could go. Cause I have to like give the base, you know, what it is, but yeah, I wish I could just wish we had more and more time to go deeper into things, but I don't know if people want to hear all of that. <laughs> but yeah, surprised. Really... They, pro- they probably do, man. They probably do. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, st- start on the on the low level and let's see how deep you go. Yeah. So basically, like very low level, um, what is Tor and how does it work? Um, very, very high level, like very like straightforward way of explaining it. Tor is a way for you to an- anonymize your internet traffic by bouncing it around different computers essentially that's all you have to know to understand this presentation and it's the only well i guess there's i2p but tor is way more popular than itp and they have a different um infrastructure but tor is like the most popular anonymized like browsing network been around since i believe the the 90s i want to say and deep lore and how it became to exist it was actually funded by the government at first as an enemy network but they had to open up so everyone could use it, right? Because if only government's using it, it's not that private. If everyone's using it, you can get a lot more privacy. But it's really essential, right? Because it's a lot better than a VPN because you're, when you use a VPN, you're sort of trusting a VPN. And the only thing that really compares to it is something like ICP, which is a little not as popular. But that's pretty much it. Tor is how you anonymize your internet traffic. And what is a big problem with this is that the way Tor is designed makes it partic- particularly deceptible to DDoS experience. And I'm sure Doug has experience with DDoS attacks, unfortunately, also. <laughs> and um, yeah, DDoS, yeah. yeah, DDoS attack is pretty much when um, someone floods your network with a bunch of fake computers. But you, you, you could think of it basically if, if you're like running like a, you know, if you're running a restaurant and someone sends in like 100 people to go into the restaurant and waste your time, essentially, right? <laughs> like your restaurant's a computer and so this person would just pay or go get a bunch of random people to go go into your restaurant. They don't buy anything. They just ask you a bunch of questions all day and, and waste your time. That's what a DDoS attack is. You send a bunch of requests to a server, and just hopefully the server times out, or you just mess with it. And it's and it, really hard to prevent, 
one of the easiest ways to prevent it is by blocking IP addresses. But when you're anonymous, your IP address doesn't, that doesn't really work, right? Because the whole point of it is that Tor hides your IP address. So they use proof of RandomX, sort of. And RandomX is basically the idea of the proof of work algorithm that's designed to be CPU specific and ASIC resistant. And you might have heard proof of work from things like Bitcoin. They use like SHA-256 as their main algorithm, but it's not ASIC resistant, which is a big issue because the ASIC can pretty much mean that regular people can't really compete with it. So it would not make sense to use that in this solution. So what they did is they basically they used random X. And there's this whole episode on the, the, that Doug has about random X. It's really, I would say my favorite, I don't know. The scaling feature in, in Monero is pretty cool too, but I would say but maybe my second favorite is probably random X. I go back and forth depending on what articles I read, but it's a really cool feature of Monero. And Tevador basically used evolved random X to work in this specific situation. And RandomX is a pre-work algorithm that is optimized for general purpose CPU. And it basically uses random code generation to make it really specific to CPU. That does that means that everyone can participate. You can't like make, a, like in Bitcoin, you can go to, I believe China makes most of the ASICs and you can get a big advantage from having application specific hardware essentially. But that's not good for a network because it's like, you don't want to have to go buy a computer from China in order to use Tor, right? That would just not really be that private in the first place. So you would use something like random, something like random X to make it so that if you have a phone, we have a CPU in it because all most devices have a CPU in it. You can be actually decentralized and resistant. And, and to make this sort of give an overview of how this works, you could imagine that instead of having anyone able to walk walk into your restaurant, they would simply have to you know um, do a math problem before they can ask you a question, right? So instead of going, being able to walk into the restaurant and waste your time by asking you nonsense questions, you would require them to do a proof of work before they got there. Maybe most people just like, I'm not doing this. They would just leave. So the attack really wouldn't work. So that's pretty much what happens here. In order to access Tor, you have to do a proof of work, essentially. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. And this is really good because um, it makes it still private and still decentralized, right? Because in theory, you could say, I, I will just require an ID, right, which is terrible. KYC, I, KYC, but that would be a way to prevent DDoS. But that's not private, and that's a terrible way to do it. So the only way people have come up with so far is to use something like RandomX to make it, when you make a request, you have to do a bunch of work, essentially. And that's pretty much it. But the story of how Tevador um, got here really goes back, I believe, to when RandomX was first implemented on Monero. And I think that was, like, what, 2018, if I'm mistaken? 2016? Yeah. Uh yeah, it was late. Yeah, I guess around 2018. 2018. And it was a big, big change. I remember watching a interview that Doug did, and there was this person on there who was like basically saying it, it wouldn't work. <laughs> and she had like this, like it was like an hour-long interview where she was talking, like giving the specific reasons why a coin can't be ASIC mm-hmm. resistant. You know, giving her the benefit of a doubt, it hadn't been done before successfully. So I mean, she was historically correct, but just I mean, even, you know, even yeah. uh, Ricardo Spagni, Fluffy Pony, was was opposed to it. Uh, really, I don't know he thought to what degree it would work or not, but he was. I think he thought it was kind of futile to to try to prevent ASICs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, that's yeah. He has since come around. Actually, recently, I saw him tweeting the other day, and this was um, more so in response to Tornado Cash. He was speaking about that, and then the conversation got to the potential of, you know, essentially having to protect the mining network and keep it as decentralized and as possible. 
uh, to avoid essentially governments mandating that miners do certain things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so realizing that uh, random X and by way of random X creating a more decentralized CPU based mining network mm-hmm. uh, and preventing the creation of ASIC mining, essentially corporations has effectively created a, a more robust mining network. That's less likely to be essentially co-opted by, by governments where they can mandate regulation. So I think he's kind of since come around to it. Wow. I think initially he thought it was futile and that, uh, you know, ASICs would, would, you know, rule the day, even if, you know, you tried to avoid them otherwise. But it's been a success so far. But yeah, there were definitely a lot of doubters in the community uh, when it was being proposed. Yeah, that, yeah, I guess hindsight is always twenty twenty. So, I'd, yeah. So, it, I mean, at the time it came out, it, it was and still is revolutionary. I think as far as algorithms go, I think there's Random X, which has been battle tested to be ASIC resistant. And I think Argon 2 also to a slightly lesser degree has been tested by some coins also to be ASIC resistant so far. But yeah, when it came out, it was revolutionary, essentially. The idea that you could design an algorithm that people could not optimize, you know, is is really, really groundbreaking stuff. And yeah. It really took, yeah. I mean, they, then, they could, I guess, te- they could optimize it, right? But yeah. not to the point where it's efficient enough, where it's yeah. better so much better than a CPU where it makes sense to invest money into producing these specific uh, applications, right? Yeah, then I believe with something Howard Schuh said, I believe if you opt, if you created, if you, if you sat down and created a random X optimized um, like machine, like you would essentially FPU. spend like millions of dollars to make a CPU is what he right. said. Like, <laughs> better, you, you would, yeah. Here that we you have. You know, with a, with a crappy <laughs> CPU probably that just wouldn't be good. Right. So that's what, yeah. So I guess you could, but you would end up just reinventing the CPU, which would get you would spend millions, billions of dollars probably at this point. Right. Which probably is kind of cool. think about it too, right? Because it's helping, yeah. potentially helping to uh, speed up the development of CPUs, right? And- yeah. The CPU war. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. The CPU, the CPU war brought on by things like random X. That's all oh, I think about that. I wonder if Howard True, I was, I, I just love when you have him on just to listen to him, just, just, just these guys just talk. About, like, yeah, we, we got to get him on again, especially now that he hasn't been on Twitter. He was booted from Twitter, and I think yeah, just the one. Yeah, to I will say if I remember correctly, I think the current this um, this might be wrong. Um, at one point this was true, the most like efficient, right? So mm-hmm. like money for power usage, not necessarily maximum hash rate. Most efficient was just a Ryzen seven thirty seven hundred X, which is like crazy to think about because that's like. That's like a, a consumer desktop CPU, right? That's not even Threadripper. It's not Epic. It's not a Xeon. It's not a server processor. It's oh, just a wow. desktop one. That was the most efficient one. It yep. might not be true. It's probably some of the new Horizon ones now, but at one point that was true. Uh, so like to get... Oh. I'm sorry? No, you're good. I'll ask, you, I'll ask you later. You were saying how much does it sell for, I think, right? Is what you're saying? Oh, yeah, uh, you can get one. Uh, don't You can't really get one new anymore because this CPU is like it's a couple gens old. But uh i mean i bought one for like a hundred and ten dollars so and the hash rate is not going to be like super high but it's like it's enough to where um it's like it's reasonable it's reasonable and it's an eight core 16 thread so it's it's decent yeah it's it's, it's also i think wow. important to note that before you know before random x for those who have you know are kind of noobish to monero uh, Monero had always attempted to be ASIC resistant. So, but before RandomX, really, the only solution was to to change our proof of work mm-hmm. whenever it appeared that ASICs had been created. Uh, 
which obviously wasn't really sustainable or practical or desirable because it kind of led, arguably led to centralization, right? You had mm-hmm. uh, a group, a core group that was deciding, all right, we'll change, we'll change the proof of work now. We'll change the proof of work now to kind of boot these ASICs. Uh, so RandomX solved that problem where it became automatic, where there was no need to upgrade the protocol every whatever six months to a year to to boot them rather that it just created a proof of work where asics essentially couldn't be created wow and alaska Ana in the chat says it's essentially it really is the best cause to hash rate still so i imagine there might be something above it but it still is a really good and yeah for the cpu yeah. price if you factor that in too but you can get like if you have a really optimized setup you could get like over uh, 9,000 hashes a second. Uh, so Ooh, that would on. be like pretty, wow. uh, yeah, it's, it's decent, it's decent. Uh, Digula, just from my understanding, so Tevador obviously uh, was instrumental in creating Random X with, with Howard. Mm-hmm. My understanding is Howard kind of like proposed the, the, the concepts and mm-hmm. Tevador essentially implemented them. Um, and I'm sure added inventive work as well as he did that. But then with with this tour thing, was Tevador the one who participated in creating the new proof for work that Tor is using that is based off random exit? Was was he did he partake in that? I believe um, from what my most of my information comes from um, Tevador's blog about what he did. If you Google DOS protection for onion services, um, I can is it possible for me to Google that and then share or maybe I didn't realize that he was the one that actually uh, you know reworked yeah. Random X now to make it compatible for Tor's usage. That that's yeah, awesome. I, is there anything I could show the blog tuxedo? I don't. Yeah, how would I go about? Because it's really good. Is if he details his hmm. entire thought process going back to his work with with um with Howard Chu actually. Oh, sorry. But yeah, it's, it's a really, that's most of my information comes from because I, I don't have an interview of him talking about it. Mm-hmm. But um, he literally has an entire GitHub readme where he just goes through everything that led him up to designing a lot of the, the code for Equal, Equal X, which is what I think a version of what they use now. So my understanding is I don't, he doesn't mention Howard Chu or anyone. And it seems from the way that he wrote the dev blog that it was the majority of work came from him. Once again, that's just my only source. No one else is really talking about where it comes from. And they only mentioned Tevador's work in the official tour project. Like, oh, we're doing this now. So my understanding is that it was ma- not mainly, I guess this specific work was mainly Tevador. I could be wrong, but it was came heavily from the work he did in Random X with Howard Chu and other people. What was Need Money? Ah, yes. Tuxedo has it right here. I think that's in it. The- that's what you were talking about. Yes, it is like the, the the best thing. My favorite thing in this space is one of Doug's interviews with the people just talking about what they did, and the second best is the person just writing about what they. Did. And I find that Tevador does that really well. Um, and he also has the same write up for Random X, which is also an amazing read if you want to look up the similar read for um, for his work. But yeah, essentially that's my understanding of it. And I can go through the his process of going through that. But so I don't want to exclude anyone that might have been involved, but my sources only point to Tevador doing the majority of the work. Sorry to give you a long answer for that. <laughs> no, no worries, no worries. Yeah, you, you could drop the links in the in the chat too. Um, yeah, um, Tuxedo did a really good job of finding the one. And it, it is, like like I said, number one is a video. Second is Tevador writing about it. It's 
quiet and he breaks it down makes it very understandable cites his sources gives like the history of what's going on it's yeah, really yeah. top tier work but um from that um dev blog we find out that random x is great for mining like on a decentralized network but um it is different when you want to use something like on tour for example like a lot of people were saying why don't you just accept monero for the proof of work instead I'm like that doesn't really create a great customer experience right imagine you're some guy that just wants to go on tour to just read some private files from wikileaks right you shouldn't have to have monero to participate in that even though i love monero I, i'd rather that person come find monero on their own naturally so there are some changes to the algorithm that were made and a lot of changes were due to the speed also because you can imagine that if you have a motherboard on the left here it's going to be a lot more powerful than a phone but you should should, should still be able to use your phone to browse Tor. So um, Tevador made some tweaks to it to make it more specific to being used on Tor. And someone also asked, could this be merged mine with Tor? Um, since they use, I'm going to, I mean, everything is possible when you put enough devs on it. But I think right now as current implementation, I don't think it's possible because they don't exactly use the, the same mining algorithms actually. Tevador went and pulled from some other hash algorithms to make Tor's um, proof of work algorithm so unfortunately you you can't merge mine them and merge mine is where you you could use the work on tour to support the monero network and use the monero network to support the work on tour so that probably likely isn't currently possible in this current implementation which is something i think drunk dial me had a uh like a conversational thread about but yeah any questions so far i'm, I'm covering everything no good stuff good stuff but yeah so um he actually pulled from I know I don't know if we can say that that word here, but the the, the Zcash is one of their algorithms called Equahash that was actually I believe supposed to be async resistant, but it actually was broken. But it had a really efficient, um, well not efficient, but a really good algorithm still that um, hashing algorithm to be used. So Tevador, I mean like this write up is like amazing. He goes through the entire process how he got here, talks about what he needed to change random X to get to this specific situation, and it's beautiful. So he actually borrowed from this. Um, Zcash, I believe even Zcash funded research and and added it to RandomX in a way and ended up getting the Tor algorithm. And I just want to keep saying this, like even in the, the Satoshi's white paper, proof of work is essentially one CPU, one vote. And in the white paper, Satoshi doesn't mention ASICs, he doesn't mention like massive mining farms. His dream is one CPU, one vote, essentially, from the white paper. So I believe that Monero is really taking that seriously, but I feel like a lot of um, other coins don't really try it, you know, don't try to be asynchronous and they just like, okay, well, it's, it's inevitable that you're going to have large mining farms that centralized, but they're a big issue, right? Because if a mining market is centralized, they can be easily told by the government, edit this transaction, don't do this transaction. And that, and that already happens on Bitcoin. All the mining in Bitcoin is already censored to a certain, all of the American mining is already censored by American laws. So you, you're not going to have and American miner put out a block that doesn't have OFAC compliant block. So that's is already happening is a fact. But but let's say China doesn't have those same rules. So some of the blocks are also mined in China. So you do still get some de decentralization, but all American blocks mined in America by American pools are already sensed. And this sort of prevents that from happening. And, and if that censorship rises to a major level, like if China and the US work to censor transactions, they could probably censor a lot of transactions. But I don't know how much um how likely it is for America and China to come together to work on um, censoring their citizens. But I don't know. Maybe maybe that might happen in the future. <laughs> I don't give yeah, any I, ideas. I don't, I don't think that's 
would be too surprising because it's it's yeah at the end of the day that the bank the banking industry itself mm-hmm. at the highest level is pretty coordinated on a global level right whether it's you know um so to, yeah to imagine a world where in uh countries are coordinating to to censor is not that hard to imagine because i'm pretty sure i don't want to give random off the top of my head i'm pretty sure if you added china and like associated places in there in America mining together, you would get way over 50% mining hash rate, like mm-hmm. easily, I believe. I believe even like America has, I mean, like 40 of the global hash rate for like for Bitcoin mining, I believe right now. So if you add China to that, you probably get like maybe like random number, like maybe like set, like you would get something way over 51%. So like if Doug said, if they work together to, to scissor transactions, there's like, not really, you know, much you could do to prevent that, especially since they, they don't have privacy built into the base layer. So it's this is really important work that Rand, um, the RandomX team is putting out. Really, really vital work. I just want to reiterate, this is like second favorite part of Monero. But yeah. Um, any, any other questions before we go to the quiz? Uh, no, no, no. All good. Yeah. So it's really, um, I, just, I, don't, I don't want to sound like a broken record. They did great work. Tor is now and Tor is now is now using this live to protect his network from being abused, and it's really cool stuff. But as far as the uh, quiz goes, um, yeah, if, if you listen to Doug's um, podcast with Howard Chu, you would know the answer to this. Um, the major language that the Random X predecessor was written in was JavaScript, C C, or Rust, or based in. This was based in this language, and and he talks about it really. He mentions it a lot because the answer, yeah, the answer is interesting. Any any suggestions? I was like, you know the answer probably. I actually don't. Uh, I would go with. Uh, I don't want to say. I don't want to sound stupid. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I don't want to say it was written in it. it. It uses this language extensively, which will be surprising. <laughs> JavaScript. If it's surprising. Russ, someone said Russ. Michael says Russ. C. I know it's you not Russ. Um, I think if I remember, some of it was actually JavaScript, JavaScript based, which seems. Yeah. Yeah, it's really not true, but I I, I remember yeah. that being partly true. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, uh, sorry. The answer is actually yes, JavaScript. Yeah. RandomJS. And it's really cool because um one of the really cool things that he tried before was having, because you, you know when you do a, a hash, right? Most hashes just take in data and they do a, a programmatic way to, to with that data. But a way of making it uh, more CPU optimized was to have the actual code generated randomly also and the input to that code generated randomly also mm-hmm. and javascript is really good for making random um random code essentially yes it's all coming really back cool. to me now yes yeah you yeah <laughs> if you actually just heard that i've I was had like, all these crazy. conversations with the sources but it was that was a long time ago yeah <laughs> so he actually used javascript to make random code that would then be given or random instructions that would then be given random input also, which makes it very CPU friendly compared to being like a GPU, given the way these architectures are designed. I believe that he ran into some like specific issues with it. So that's why he transitioned to random X, but it's a, it's a really cool, really cool random fact. Like, like Tuxedo said, you wouldn't expect JavaScript to be used in something like this, but yeah. And then more interviews, that's Tevador's wonderful face there in this interview with uh, Monero Talk. One of my favorite ones that I think you've probably had, because I mean, it has Howard Ch- uh, Howard Chu and it, Tevador, and y'all are talking about like random X. So it's like really cool stuff. You can Google it. And then once again, if you want to find the devlog, we have the link here, but you want if you Google DOS protection for onion services from random X to Equax in Tevador's name, his GitHub repo will show up and it's a great read. And he also has one um, on his profile about random X specifically also. 
So really cool stuff. We have uh, Nick Nick G uh, is talking about how a lot of the mining is mm-hmm. uh, he's claiming is centralized by botnets. What's what's your take on that, Digun? Have do you have a response to that? I mean, you can't. It depends how you define centralized. Because I mean, a botnet. Yeah, I mean, twenty percent is not. Yeah, that's not that. Yeah, body said twenty percent, so that's not centralized at all. And it's kind of hard to get a figure on it because a botnet, by definition, is gonna is gonna be hard to trace. Mm-hmm. So it sort of is also, and that's also the result where you're gonna get when you have a decentralized market. If anyone can participate, you're gonna have people stealing compute from other ones. And there, yeah, dot body also said there's not one botnet, so they're not really centralized. There's no government that says you have to edit these transactions. Botnets would just process whoever pays them. Right? <laughs> yeah. Nick G's argument is well, essentially centralized by hackers, right? Because these, these hacking groups that are taking over computing power. Uh, and so he's saying it's similar to ASICs. They have an unfair advantage. I mean, I guess the the major differences are, are concern. Not not saying this is ideal, uh, but mm-hmm. are. are Naturally, this is how things have evolved. But the major difference, our concern with the ASICs is that these are large companies that are running these yeah. things that are essentially ultimately in cahoots with the state, with the government, uh, because we yeah. know that's how things always work, right? So these companies get large enough to the degree where they're willing to do whatever the government tells them to do, even if that means potentially censoring transactions, because at the end of the day, they just care about their, their profits, uh, and if that means abiding by the regulations or even suggesting to the government that certain regulations be put in place, which they end up benefiting from and locking out the little guys and making it difficult for them to get into the mining mm-hmm. industry, that's what we're really concerned about. Um, you know, hackers that are that are stealing compute power to mine Monero, obviously not ideal for various reasons, but it I don't see a scenario in where this large group of hackers is is approached by the state i don't know unless it becomes the state itself that that is running these botnets i mean i guess you could go down go down that road um but yeah i 20 percent is the number that i've historically is have always heard in terms of percentage i don't know if that is a, a trend that will get eventually get worse or better or stay the same yeah yeah i mean like you said there's no, nothing's gonna, nothing's gonna be perfect. Life is unfair, so some people might be able to still compute and get an unfair advantage. But as long as people don't, I will, you know, other reasons. But if they're not gonna edit, you know, prevent. I, I doubt these hackers will edit my transaction and prevent me from spinning my Monero, even if they could. So it's, you know, it is what it is. Twenty percent is not that big issue at all. I say, I would say honestly, a bigger issue. If you want to talk about real issues in Monero, this happened recently. Was I believe the mining of a mining pool in Monero was. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think had over fifty percent of the hash rate, like on August the twenty third. Yes, we'll get like, to that. Yes. Oh, that's in the news. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it then. But that's actually, you know, a real, a real issue. It doesn't have the same implications that it does in Bitcoin because of Monero's privacy layer and how that works. But it was, it definitely is, you know, an issue with centralization. Yes. Uh, but Nick G, you're you're welcome to jump on the show anytime yeah. to to bring this up, and hopefully we'll have some people. On that can engage with you but i think you said you can't jump on today but yeah in the future when you can please please join us live all right yeah Anything else to all right oh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about talk about the recent the um not 50 more attack but like the over you know usage of one pool i'm excited to hear about in the news but yeah i'll be here for that
Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of a uh, lot of big news today. So let's we'll, we'll keep moving and we'll try to get a good group up on stage. We could all chime in on the news topics. Please stick around, Digun, so you can chime in. Awesome yeah. as always. Thanks, Digun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll leave it up to you, Doug, what to do next because our guest is not here. Oh no, our guest is not here. <laughs> He's not here. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna pause. Wait, hold on. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Sunita was, was communicating with him, I believe. That's unfortunate that he's not here. I guess. I guess let's bring the. I mean, the, we have no issue with filling up the time. That's what I know. <laughs> yeah, we we definitely don't. Um, let's do the let's let's bring the viewers on on stage, right? The uh, do viewers on stage. Anybody that wants to come up and participate in the show, now's the time. And then we will start to do news with the viewers on stage, so people can chime in and and participate in the discussion. All right. It's the viewers on stage segment. It's that time where we invite you, the viewers, up on stage to comment on anything you've heard so far today, ask the guest a question, or maybe talk about one of the news topics. Come on down. All right. Anyone who's already in the backstage, just type one in the private chat and I'll add you up. It's sweet. Who do we got? We got some people hanging out. Alaska Anon, Michael. Yo, can you hear me? Yes, Michael. How's it going? Are, are you are you new to Monerotopia? Have we had you up before? I've not been on, but I've listened to like Sal the Agorist was the first one I listened to like the whole thing because he follows me on Twitter, no less. Oh, fantastic! Oh, Michael, how's it going? Yeah. Man? No, it's a great show. So, uh, yeah, thank you. I'd, I'd be curious to hear what Jake has to say about the interest with Monero, and else we should refocus to something else. That is a, a very interesting topic to cover actually because there's a there's two definitions for the word moneyness one has to do with like stock trading and strike prices and a bunch of stuff that probably only body even understands but another one is uh one of the the fundamental traits of money is your ability to use it to grow interest and um that was for the longest time one of the arguments against gold because he used to be able to use gold to get interest on gold by financing things with gold. Um, but Monero doesn't actually have an interest-bearing vehicle by which you can uh, you can accrue interest. Because a lot of people using Monero mostly use it for the liquidity side and for the like the digital cash effect of it. But there's a few people in the gold movement right now that in order to defend gold's, quote, moneyness, now have interest-bearing assets or interest-bearing accounts that are paid in gold and stored in gold and so so on. The 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 big wigs would be people like uh, Monetary Metals. They do interest-bearing gold bonds. And Monero could actually conceivably quite easily create an environment like that But the way that uh, crypto has been doing it is basically either it's a share of like block rewards or which is technically not like the historical interest bearing vehicle. Uh, Interest should come from investment. And Monero is actually better suited for interest bearing investments than any other crypto right now. And I'll give you a quick example. So. A lot of people invested heavily in uh, Russian gas before the the war broke out because Russian gas was looking to explode. And hilariously, right after all of these foreign investors had invested all of this gold, all of this money in Russian gas, they were prevented from getting 
their money out and they were also prevented from collecting the interest on it. But if they would have done that in Monero, they still could have not only gotten paid out, but you could actually build it into like some sort of smart contract where even the Russian government or the European and American governments wouldn't have been able to prevent you from getting your justly earned gains. Um, so interest bearing uh, investments in Monero is actually, from a financial perspective, one of the most obvious, well, like maybe obvious isn't the right answer, but it's one of the best ways to argue as replacing including all of these CBDCs talking about, oh, intergovernmental trading, blah, blah, blah. Like, even though we all know it's BS, right? They'll block you if they want to block you. They'll ban you if they want to ban you. Monero would be an unequivocally, it would be better than gold. It would be better than dollars. It would be better than anything for interest bearing uh, investments. And on Monday. Would that be centralized uh, though? What's that? Uh, it it really point. just depends on your implementation, right? But Monero itself is the most decentralized way to do money. So if you're paying out in Monero, nobody can stop the payment, which has been the ultimate bane of all of these investors is people stopping the payments. That's very interesting. The idea, I don't know if this would relate to that, but so yeah, Bitcoin Cash, I've been into Monero since probably 2017, Bitcoin Cash since like 2000, about, well, about the same time, you know, whenever it split actually. And, uh, but yeah, Bitcoin Cash has a whole, you know, you probably maybe heard of the tokens on Bitcoin Cash. I'm not trying to promote Bitcoin Cash here, but just in the sense that they have dividend tools that have been around for years. And there may not be a good decentralized way of implementing that, but I think a central well, scripts on servers that could basically, you have a whole list of, let's say you have a list of a thousand Monero addresses, and then you have one receiving address. And let's say somebody sends 20 Monero to the one receiving address, and then it gets split up equally among the thousand addresses, I think there could be a lot of use cases for that. And uh, Absolutely, but I think the Unix philosophy is definitely the better approach. You just focus on keeping Monero digital cash, and then you build the tools out. Yeah. yeah well, I, I, might, I might try to write a script using ChatGPT or, or one of those large language models on, you know, locally, ideally. But anyway, that's all I wanted to say, sort of, and had on my mind, and I think for this thing... I'll be quiet now. So. Oh yeah, is that what you were uh, mentioning earlier, Michael, about the um, the the Monero dividend? Yeah, basically. I mean, I don't think it really exists for Monero at this point, but like, there's other cryptos that I think it exists for, and I I just think it could really grow the ecosystem. Um, you know, if the SEC if the SEC was not in the way so much, so um, at least the United States. That's one of the reasons why I think that, you know, uh, everybody wants to be the everything app. Like everybody wants to be the the WeChat. In fact, that's oh, like Elon Musk gold for, or gold for Twitter. Yeah, but the problem with that is it, it creates its own centralization. It increases its own. It increases the attack vector of the thing that you're actually talking about. So if if if, uh, if you stick with the Unix philosophy principle, right, where, Monero is entirely focused on the one thing that it does, right? Well, I guess the, the few things, being digital cash. And then you build out infrastructures with open source code bases that have multiple ways of, you know, and, and this is why Seraphis is so important, right? Because 
in theory, you've actually eliminated a lot of the need for having on-chain dividend tools because just having the, the new, the new multi-sig approach and so on is going to make it easy for a guy to spend, you know, 15 minutes to build out all of the tools necessary for interest bearing functions. And then you'll also be able to tailor the tools for the use case. So one of the problems that gold is having right now is because they're paying out interest on bonds, they still have to follow all of these laws for bonds. Well, what if I want to pay out interest on my company, right? So uh, every, all of the increase in profit, I want to share with the people in the company that built the increase in the revenue, right? Uh, it, it would be easier for me to hire a software developer to build that into, I don't know, like QuickBook, QuickBooks or whatever, than it would be to use the entire blockchain that I want to use to do it. What's Seraphis? Oh, man. There are interviews about Seraphis on this channel that, if I mean, I would be a fool to even open my mouth compared to like... <laughs> And the the best one by far, in my personal opinion, was at Monerotopia. You should have went. Um, they, they actually had Co, the main dev guy for Seraphis. And they had Justin Berman talking about, it, it wasn't specifically Seraphis, but a bunch of fringe stuff that, um, but if you go back into the Monerotopia from 2023, um, you'll find a whole bunch of stuff about Seraphis. I will look that up. Um, there's it, it, a, I was just going to say, in short, Seraphis is just the you know the update that's coming to Monero. Oh, okay, got it. It's like, I hear you, I hear you. I will look, yeah. Um, Memo.cash, Jason Chavonis on Twitter has this app called Bitcoin, or Memo.cash, and it's, a, it's like Twitter, but for it uses the Bitcoin Cash memo uh, op returns to basically have a Twitter-like social network built on the Bitcoin Cash blockchain. I don't think that's possible for Monero. But then there's platforms like Noster and uh, Mastodon and Lemmy. And uh, like if they had bit, bit Monero tipping, like Chaintip was a tipping tool for Bitcoin Cash. And I think if uh, there was like Monero-centric clients for Mastodon, Lemmy, Noster and whatnot that had uh, you know, built-in Monero tipping. I think that could also grow the ecosystem. That would be there, really. Like, that's that is also actually already finished. Oh really? Um, yeah. There, there's also a crowd, uh, a crowdfunding platform that uses Monero as well. Uh, I think it's out of beta now. He just needs some people to wait. Wasn't that Degoon? Kuno is the is the what you're talking. Oh about. right, yeah. I was gonna say, oh, wait, why yeah. am I talking about Degoon's like yeah. right there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was XMR Bazaar. Yeah, I think that would be cool though. A Fediverse based application, like Michael was saying, that had integrated uh, XMR tipping, where you could just add your address, and you know, you could. Um, I guess, I guess it would. Well. I guess you wouldn't be really be tipping on the application itself because it's not custodial. You'd still be doing that from your own wallet and stuff. But um, maybe there'd be a nice way to like display that or something. You could have a built-in wallet. Nah, because it's that. custodial. Yeah, no. one one of the things that I would point out though is the the faster and more efficient that Monero makes itself, the easier it is for people to build use case tools around the function that they want. And the smaller you make those tools, 
the easier it is to integrate into those everything apps. We have a lot of talented uh, developers on stream right now, though. Like, I, I know Digun and Body could easily explain, like, you know, you, when you have these lightweight, high function, low overhead programs, building them into apps is overwhelmingly better and simpler. Um, and then people can quickly integrate pieces of what you've developed into other. Is that yes, that's Davis's. Yes. <laughs> What's going on, man? That's now he's so... all shy and nervous. Oh. Hey there. No, I will say if you did it like, for instance, how we're trying to set up XMarbazar, if you did it in a way to where the browser client side did the work, you could set it up to where, yeah, you've got this wallet that's basically kind of built into the application. You can tip right there, but it's still non-custodial. It could be possible. It would just be, uh, it would just be a lot to implement. But it's it's possible. It'd be possible. I think I think we could eventually see a cool insurgence of Monero applications where it's like you've got. Uh, the ability to use Monero very built into it, but it's in a non-custodial way where it's creating like keys and it's creating the wallet locally. And then that information is stored on like an encrypted account or something. There's still a lot of trust to be had there, of course, but I think that could be a very good way to do it. This is a really good place to... Go ahead, tipping, tipping does exist on Twitter on X via via cake, right? If by cake, it, yeah. If you use that, that's still, that's still cool. That's nice that they have that feature. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, uh, I don't know if you're aware of that, but yeah, if you, you could put your Monero address into your X profile and you can send tips via cake to anybody that has their Monero address in their Twitter profile. This is yeah, a really good place to plug the, the development of XMR Bazaar because some of the things that you guys are working on integrates very well with a lot of this, like the, the way that the... Um, the uh, multi-sig system and the client share systems work it solves a lot of the problems that michael is talking about here but go ahead and i mean talk about it talks you you want to you want to talk more about it oh man i don't know if there's much more i could say yeah. i mean for the uh for the i main... wish you could bring anarchio on but uh, he's he's highly anonymous we, we could barely talk to him yeah yeah he's... um let, let's let's proceed with the news though let's get the news going and then we could get people to chime in on that all right, I got all of the links up, so I'll go ahead and run that. Yep. And now for our weekly news segment. Okay, what do we got? What do we got? Screen here. All right. First, first one we got is new composition of bricks will control eighty percent of world oil production. With the addition of Saudi Arabia, the United States, Emirates, and Iran to the BRICS, the union will be able to control the lion's share of the world's oil production. The same goes for the sharp GDP growth of the new BRICS countries. It will amount to 30% of world G GDP and exceed $30 trillion. Big news. Any, any comments on that, guys? What do you guys think of... Uh, has something to say. Go ahead, buddy. He's, he's muted. I'm just suggesting. <laughs> I feel like he has something he could say about any of this. Um, actually, I don't. Um, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't see this report here. I, I am always suspicious of BRICS. Um, you know, it, BRICS has been around since, like, was it 2005? I remember when I first got into libertarianism, like, like 2006, I got into it. And I was like, oh, yeah, BRICS and the dollar is getting replaced and blah, blah, blah. And, like, it, I'm not really convinced that BRICS is necessarily um, m much more than kind of like a, a social thing. Like, hey, you know, look at us. We're going to we're we're resisting the dollar. And I don't know. It's I mean, I'm sure it's significant. It's not nothing. But 
I'm always suspicious of just like, is it really significant? Is it really going to impact the world? I'm still waiting. You know? you know, one of the things about BRICS that I think a lot of people who are, let's just be honest, Americans have no idea about that. Most of the people within those countries are clear about India and China do not get along. Argentina is in the midst of like their, their nationalist movement is thriving right now and they're probably going to want out so bad as soon as the the next political changes take place brazil is far from a homogenous nation you know russia and china have land disputes right now that like have almost led to war dozens of times saudi arabia can't stand any of the russian allies right now because the all of the all of the wars going on between the two of them like the, the 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 background wars, right? Saudi Arabia and Iran have a have a issue between them as old as time itself. Um, or another good example is like Ethiopia and Egypt. They're fighting over water use right now that could lead to a full blown like regional war. The idea that these people are just going to start working together is hilarious to me. Right. Yeah, they might work to get out from under the dollar. But then when you talk about the oh, the 80 percent of the world oil production, well, you could flip a switch and Alaska could turn into 10 percent of the world's oil production. Or some of these other places like Australia aren't even touching their oil reserves right now. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Hard to say, but it's interesting to see that you have countries collaborating to try to really compete with the dollar. Um, so I guess to be determined. Anybody else have comments on that? All right, moving on. All right, next thing we've got, based on RandomX, the algorithm that is securing Monero Network is developed for Monero. Uh, this is not exactly true. I mean, it's not based on RandomX. There's some people that were that kept saying that, um, but this is just is continuing basically what um what Digun was talking about earlier of the uh, the new uh, proof of work in Tor project. Uh, but it, it was helped designed by Tevador, but it's not really based on random as what I did. I bear some guilt for helping spread a slight bit of misinformation there mm-hmm. based on my mm, incomplete understanding there. I mean, oh, how so? It, was that? How so? Oh, just not being careful with my phrasing, not understanding uh, that it was more sort of based on uh, Equihash. Um, I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, the, yeah. The I mean, it was basically everyone was saying it was. I guess at some point there was this assumption that it was like somebody said something that it was based on random X and everyone took off of that because it's, it's cool. Right. It's like, Oh wow. Monero random X is now in tour, but it's like, no, it was Tevador who worked on, uh, you know, random X also. Yeah. I mean, I guess that underlying idea of random code generation is sort of like the, the link there, but yeah, it's just totally different code base, which is still super cool that the guy who uh, worked on random X also basically worked on, the, or at least helped the proof of work in Tor. That's super awesome. I mean, I do think that um, it's it's likely that three and a half years of Monero running the CPU-based algorithm with all of the, the incentive to attack it, I do think that it's reasonable to say, hey, Monero kind of proved that that concept can work, even if the implementation is very different in Tor. Yeah, totally. Because uh, there's no other crypto that's really done it the way Monero has, as far as I know. This is it is a powerful advertisement for Monero. There's no doubt about that, and I hope that people don't stop that connection because it, the the Tor project is already like the privacy software or the the privacy 
don't know, software <laughs> architecture or whatever. And to see them moving in the direction that Monero already has been moving in, it really underscores the power behind what already exists in Monero. So I hope that that never becomes disassociated. Totally. I agree. And also, um, yeah, oh, I, anything you want to say on that? Sorry, go ahead. Yes. Um, I just have, um, got, I did see this Twitter thread where um, Luke was talking about how it's not specifically, I guess, based on random X. Is, is that correct, Body? What you're talking about? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm basing what I'm saying here is that uh, Luke Parker got on and said, "Hey, it's it's not based on random X." Um, and he provided some links. So they talk a lot about Equihash. They mention random X at the acknowledgments one time at the bottom and thank uh, Tevador for uh, for his work and helping them to understand it. So I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think the link is that is the pre the proof of work CPU the random code the bits of random code mm -hmm. generation that all are valid uh, programs, you know, and, and then of course Monero proving that it can work in an adversarial environment. Um, I think that's the main connection, but yeah, I mean, like you guys have heard, it's not, it's not based on random X. It's not a modification if it's a different implementation. Oh yeah. I think it's definitely a different implementation, but the, the older devlog that, so yeah, I, I think it might be an issue of div, like um, specific choice of words. Cause I don't know if the, in, if you could like pull up GitHub, right, and track the actual code base, I don't, I don't think that would show a direct connection to Random X, right? Because I don't know like how you define base, but I do have the devlog written by Tevador from three years ago that, um, uh, sorry, Tuxedo linked to, and it literally has Tevador going through, like in early May 22, I was contacted by tor two Tor developers to help with their denial of service attack mitigation proposal, and he goes on to describe how he started off with random X and then changed it. Yeah, yeah, he, he literally goes through the process of how he started off with random X, added all these other things to it. It is a bit old, three years old. So I mean, I guess it depends on how you define, I guess, base, you know, might be a misuse of that. Like, like he, Luke might mean like it's more like the code, the actual code is not copy and paste it from random X, but it does have Tevador talking about how he started off at random X and ended up getting equal X at the end of it. But that was three years old. So I, it might be just a misuse of words, yeah. Hmm. Maybe we'll have to think up some like more specifically accurate language. Yes, yeah, it's, it's oh. very hard, especially you know, I mean, Twitter is not the easiest place to have nuanced conversations. I'm sure we've all all learned what? at some point in time. <laughs> so, so is was random X? Can we agree that random X was the the, the progenitor of what we're seeing on Twitter? Nice. Yeah, well, according to Tevador, yes, he started off with random X and then iterated on it to get equal X at the end. So I think so, according to what Tevador wrote here in front of us, yes. Mm -hmm. He walks through the entire process of his developing equal X, which might not be the exact same implementation, but it started off when he was con contacted by two Tor people to work on DDoS protection back in May 22. So I don't know. This is this, what I'm looking at. Yeah. This software model obviously needs a name. So I propose we call it the Doug Privacy Algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So there might be miscommunication. Of course, I don't. I'm, I'm, I would love to see the source that you mentioned also, from the most updated one from Tor. Read over that and see where if I'm missing something also. But yeah, that's what I've read in my research. All right. Yeah. No, I, I definitely deserve less than zero credit for any for any, for any <laughs> of that. Um, all right. Next story. Moving on. All right. Tornado Cash founders charged with money laundering and sanctions violations via the U.S. Attorney's Office, District of New York. Roman Storm and Roman uh, Semenov, the two main 
developers uh, of Tornado Cash and the people who ran the, the website Tornado.Cash uh, were charged with operating the Tornado Cash service, laundering more than $1 billion in criminal proceeds. Crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Body, do, do you want to give your, your take on this? I know you wrote up a great thread this week on it. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> all the same relevant factors uh, from from the uh, the lawsuit that Tornado Cash uh, leveraged, or Tornado Cash tried to sue OFAC and say, hey, you know, y'all are out to lunch, y'all can't do this, and then they lost that. All of those same relevant factors that they lost that suit are relevant here. The Tornado Devs ran a centralized website that has a centralized user interface to access the contracts. They also ran a lot of the relayers, and the way that they developed the Torn token was such that more to- Torn token would allow you to vote for who the relayers would be in a particular transaction. So I've heard some people asking, well, what's the difference? You know, so, okay, they, they gained profit from operating these relayers. Um, and people said, well, what's the difference between being a Monero miner um, and getting profit from mining on Monero versus Tornado Cash did running these relayers? And the difference is that the developers of Monero do not get profit directly from protocol execution. Um, I mean, sure, okay, if they ran their own miner, maybe, but um, that's not any kind of centralized profit, whereas the Tornado Cash devs were running critical pieces of that infrastructure, and they could have hypothetically implemented AML, uh, KYC AML, as they were asked to numerous times by the government. Now, again, I always feel it's important because people will kind of hear me say that, They're like, well, you just don't care about privacy. Like, no, I mean, I do care about privacy, but, um, and I don't think like money laundering, like without a victim, you don't have a crime. So I think this is, you know, the money transmitter laws and the, and the laundering laws, these are just ways, these are just interrounds from basic human rights to go um, demand certain action of people and put people in jail that you don't like. So, I mean, with that said, under the purview of their scribbles, of their laws, their so-called laws, um, like these are, the, the problem is when you have, when you're the centralized entity that forms some kind of organization and directly profits from code execution um, and run critical pieces of that infrastructure that most people, like something like 90% of people or more are using your infrastructure to access, even contracts that are trustless, you're still going to be attackable. And this is basically the government just telling people like, you know, you you need to develop your your protocols in such a way that you're not personally profiting from every code execution, from every contract call. You're not running centralized user interfaces because um, otherwise they're going to come after you uh, unless you're anonymous. One of the interesting things here is that the the two guys that they're charging are U.S. citizens, um, but they mention other anonymous devs as well. So I thought that was interesting. But in my mind, the big thing here is they did not criminalize privacy protocols, PGP, HTTPS, Tor, I2P, Session, like, there's so many privacy protocols that we have that are not that are not illegal. They're not um, criminal to use or anything, and it's well established. Like the jurisprudence of at least the West and the United States is extremely well established. These are not going to be criminalized, and it's not criminalizing the publishing of code. Um, they're the the things that they're being charged with focused heavily on that central web UI and uh, the user interface and and the relayers that they directly profited from as a central organization. So um, it's unfortunate because like, really it's, if we establish the legitimacy of Tornado, there's just beyond question that Monero is going to be fine in an illegal sense. Um, So there is the question of how far are these guys going to push because the government does love to generate pretext, any pretext that they can to attack the things that they don't like. And they don't like privacy. They have begrudgingly accepted that we, that they can't attack um, certain privacy protocols but they're going to definitely attack the ones that they that they can legally. So, I mean, that and there, we'll talk about it later probably, but the IRS also released a bunch of guidance this week that I unfortunately had the displeasure of reading through yesterday. But um, 
they're, they're also basically corroborating the same thing in the way that they're structuring their proposed rulemaking. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's the way I see it. It's not a direct attack on privacy per se. Um, you just have to, developers need to understand the stakes here and, and develop their protocols in a robust matter and manner and not have centralized aspects. Great, great take. Great Body take. With the, uh, the spicy, <laughs> unpopular, but very well thought out and researched take, as always. Is, is, it, is it unpopular? What was unpopular about that? Oh uh, man, I bet you it's trying to go like, oh, this is bad for privacy projects uh, and freaking out. Kind of like this is like part of the argument you had with Chris Black, right? Oh yeah, I mean it's not bad. I mean it's you know it's it's the state of things, right? So yeah, no, obviously it's not great. Uh, but but like there's there's more going on than just they're taking down like privacy projects. It's it's all going it's back all going to back. What, what? Well, I'm gonna I get an echo. Can you guys uh, mute? Oh, sorry, that's probably you know it's all going back to what. Bitcoin was originally intended to do, which is to create a truly decentralized network, right? So something like tor- Tornado Cash, I mean, they they could have done it in a way that was more decentralized, where there were essentially no owners controlling it and, and profiting from it, but they didn't do that. Uh, they had the UI website, they had the relayers, they had the DAO tokens, and all these things kind of pushed it away from decentralized network, not controlled by any entity, yep. towards one that was clearly controlled by an entity that was profiting from it. So for people to be upset by that is to just be upset. You know, it's like it's back, it's back to square one. I mean, at that point, you might as well be using a centralized service to mix funds. Um um, I still think that, like, the fact that this happened is just, like, not great and it sucks. But, like, yeah, there's there's a bit well, more. It's, it's not great there. for it's development. development. It, should be, it should be a wake-up. I'm getting an echo. I keep getting an echo. But it's, it's, it's a wake-up call to developers uh, and to the ecosystem as a whole that to, you know, fi- find the real, truly decentralized projects because those are the ones that actually have value and those are the ones that are, are true utilities whether it means they uh you know that means that it allows them to skirt the law or even ignoring that allows them to exist in spite of the law because they just can't be stopped and it's so important think- for like people um i'm sorry i think you're trying to talk buddy i keep hearing you key in <laughs> <laughs> go ahead i was just gonna say i think it's great that people like body are like coming out and like giving the whole you know someone like you who can do the research on all of this stuff uh, is giving the whole the whole explanation of what's going on because a lot of people are just going to see this and this is probably what they want they're going to see this and they're going to be worried they're just going to be like oh great you know they're, they're going to cower in fear and you know stop stop participating in some of these things because of what they assume is happening when really that's not the case yeah, that's a great point. I think the government would love for nothing else than the entire crypto space to take the wrong lessons from this and say, oh, they just criminalized privacy and they're coming after you next, Monero, and, uh, and to just generate all this all this negative press. I think the government would love that. Um, I think in a lot of ways, they, they live and die, these sociopaths live and die by putting bad information out there and getting people to believe wrong takes or um, problematic takes. Another thing that I think is worth pointing out is that... Um, it, there's kind of this like weird perverse unification or uh, alliance now between maximalists and tornado cash uh, on Ethereum because the maximalists realize that their mixing protocols are basically weaker than tornado cash um, right. in a lot of ways. They're centralized in terms of coordinators. 
Um, I there's there's probably some level of technical debate to be had here about how centralized, uh, like for example, Samurai Whirlpool is versus uh, Wasabi. Um, but we do know that Wasabi is doing all the AML stuff and sharing with blockchain analysis. Um, you know where they where they can where they're able. So they've already complied. So that's probably why they haven't been specifically attacked like Tornado was. But I think the maximalists are realizing like, oh, crap, we mix as well. And we have a lot of centralized aspects like Tornado Cash. So then they're like, oh, well, they, they kind of have an incentive to, to somewhat misrepresent what's happening here and the reasons for why it happened. Um, and so they, they want to generate as much public support for themselves as they can. So they, uh, you know, they kind of exaggerate and they, they make the wrong takes is like, well, if you if you're a privacy, if you're also a privacy, you need to support Tornado Cash and us um, rather than recognizing the nuance of what's actually happening. And I think it's instead important. of Hopefully, just saying, just use Monero, you know? Yeah. And you know, just I, to I keep this as I, I was just going to say, just to keep it as simple as possible, if you start talking about this with some normie who reads headlines, right, it just try to bring it back to the ethics as soon as as soon as you start talking about it and just point out you know there are people who built it in as a as a profit generating method and then there's the true uh, hacker ethos right of you know the the monero devs work for free <laughs> right and and they they're surviving well not all of them but a lot of them are surviving on our willingness to put our money where our mouth is and believe in the actual ethics behind how Monero is being conducted. And it's another example of, you know, the Monero community has some kind of charity project and it's funded by the end of a Monero talk. And, you know, these people who are all about Lambos and gains, you know, it's the never ending battle of fighting for their freedom to just exist. And, you know, they say play stupid games, win stupid prizes, right? Well, that's exactly what's going on is you compromise a little bit over here. And then the masters of compromising on everything, politicians and lawyers, right? They come along and all of your gains go into their Lambo and their gains, right? Yeah. Um, Moving on to, uh, we've got... I, I just want to give, I just want to get one more take. Uh, so you know yeah, we, we talked about things like Samurai Wallet and Whirlpool. We talked about it a little bit last time. But Body, how, how do you think this affects something like Zcash? I think it would affect them if anyone used them for like in let's just say in adversarial uh, environments. Um, if anyone actually used Zcash for nefarious purposes and like it, to a large extent, um, then they might have some problems. Um, they're they're I mean. You'd have to, like, for example, Tornado Cash would be a stepping stone to getting to Zcash if that's what you wanted to do. I doubt the government cares very much because I just, I haven't seen any numbers that would suggest that Zcash is facilitating anything that the government doesn't really like. Um, so I, I think they're fine for now, but if, if anyone actually used them, they would have problems. I, I think the government would take, they would be the next logical step in my mind. Mm. And use them shielded since it's uh, still opt-in as far as I know. Yeah, I think yeah. the opt-in is another argument against them, right? Because it's it's clearly people opting in for the purpose of, of essentially obfuscating their funds as opposed to default just using the protocol. Yeah, they, they've got at least a little bit more legal strength there because they could say, hey, you're never actually mixing your funds. They're not going to a common address. Like on ETH, everything was going to a common Ethereum address or account, you could say. They call them Ethereum accounts. So, I mean... Everything about it certainly had the same feel as a regular mixer. The only difference being that instead of on a private server, you're just on a public blockchain. 
but all the other elements seem to be present. Whereas at least on Zcash, you would say, hey, you moved into the shielded pool, but but you didn't actually commingle your funds with anyone else. Um, you're just part of a broader um, anonymity set. But you do still have the tornado cash, sorry, the Zcash developers taking 20% of um of every block reward. Oh yeah, so and they have a corporation. Right. That's that's the, the bigger issue there. Uh that, that they, would be they an are, case they are an actually. Entity, right. They are an entity, I, you know, from what we saw that summary judgment that was made in this case, it's, it seems like they would fall into the category of being an entity. Yeah. The difference, of course, being that they're actually like a blockchain distributed protocol that facilitates, um, that only facilitates the movement of funds. And um, reading through the IRS guidance yesterday, um, they kind of made a big deal over whether or not you're providing additional contract services versus just um, facilitating the transfer of funds. Um, that's kind of like a whole other can of worms to get into, so I won't go into into it deep. It suffice to say, it would be very interesting to see a Zcash like uh, court trial happen. Not that I want that to happen. I'm not saying that. I would prefer them to just stop the government. That is, um, but it would be they have a much stronger case, and it would be very interesting to see how the government, um, the nefarious party, ar- argues against Zcash and what kind of um, I don't know other arguments and evidence are brought to light in such an environment. I don't think that will happen, but you know who knows. Hmm. All right, all right, all right. All right, so this was posted a couple days ago um, from Zenu on Twitter. There needs to be more thorough investigation on the hash rate spike that happened to XMR, XMR recently, where all of a sudden a mining pool had over 50% of the hash rate. Something isn't right, and prominent Monero community members are ignoring this. I don't think anyone is really ignoring this. I think it's kind of one under the radar, because um, I had seen this briefly, I think, a week ago, but I forgot about this myself. Um where, uh, yeah, under mining pool stats, it was basically nano pool uh, for like a small amount of time had over 50%. It was like, it was weird because it was like, it went from less than 40% to like 55% in a very, very, very short period of time. And uh, people are just basically speculating on exactly what happened. No one really has any uh, any idea at the moment, as far as I can tell. Um, maybe somebody has like a, a server yeah. farm or owns like part of a data center or something like that. I mean, I'd love, to, I'd rather just go hang out with my, uh, yeah. Anybody with, with good insight into this, you know, uh, one of the things that can happen in these situations and I don't know, but, um, there are a lot of people who, you know, write software to utilize unused hardware as basically as a virus, you could think of it like a virus where, you know, somebody could have just gotten access to a lot of computing power all at once, and it was mining in a pool, and all of that just kind of showed up all at once. Um, this is one of the reasons why peer-to-pool is so critical, and also one of the reasons why I'm such a strong supporter of Monero Nodo, because I think that Monero Nodo could actually lead to plug-and-play Monero mining devices. And, you know, if it if it's a default peer to pool, it it spreads out hash rates so evenly and in so many locations all at once where this becomes ever increasingly difficult to happen, even randomly, even for a few minutes. Um, Monero lends itself to hackers, you know, infiltrating devices and using using those devices for hash power and. In some ways, that's kind of a good thing because it makes it more difficult to centralize it in some aspects. But then when it comes to pool mining, it makes it easier to centralize it in other aspects. What are we at with percentage for P2 pool? 
currently. Seven to eight percent. Okay, so it's it's slowly climbing over time, right? Yeah, it is. Still got to get it up there. Um, but I mean, of course, it's still newer compared to uh, all these pools. But Nano Pool has been uh, it's been the big one for a while, and see now it's sitting at if this site is some some of this is hard to count. This is accurate, then it's around thirty percent. Uh, but that discrepancy of going from you know like like forty percent to fifty five percent and back down is pretty it's pretty wild. Um, but we've seen this before. Something similar happened a few months ago where um, it wasn't it wasn't a pool specifically, but it was like the hash rate suddenly uh, skyrocketed within a day and then went down. Um, I think it almost doubled, and there were a lot of speculation around that. Um, what was like, some speculation? That somebody somebody just owns part of a data center or something, and they're just like you know testing testing something out, or you know nobody really knows. It's it's hard it's hard to know with this kind of thing. But uh, the best way to prevent any uh, malicious activity from happening is just for everyone to join join in on it, right? You you've got an extra computer that's just sitting out, you know, old laptop, you know, use it, just pee to pool mine on it, right? Um, as long as you can afford the energy cost, because uh, I know for some people it's that might be an issue depending on where you live. Um, and of course, running nodes is always a good thing too. But if you want to help secure um, good hash rate, then just use extra hardware you have laying around and use Pita Pool. Yeah, that, I guess that's the point Alaska Anon was making as well, right? So yeah, yep. it's, it's it's up to us, right? The, if if you want to fight, help fight the war, just start mining on your CPU. Uh, and as we spoke about at length, what you know. We can do that here in Monero. We wouldn't be able to really necessarily do that in Bitcoin land because we don't have access. No, to yeah, it. we don't have the expensive price. Price also plays a lot in this, and uh, on and off ramps play a lot into this. You know, I, I'm probably one of the quickest to say one XMR is one XMR because, from a you know economic exclusively view of this, that is true. But the thing is, is if Monero has a certain price, then it, it it increases the the regular guy's ability to get involved in uh, mining. And the other thing is, a lot of people who might be interested in mining XMR, they need that on and off ramp to pay the energy bill, or they need that on and off ramp to subsidize their costs in certain kinds of ways. So if they can mine XMR and then, you know, cover some of their grocery bill because your local farmer's market does accept XMR or whatever... These things cannot be isolated. They cannot be looked at as just like a one-off situation. Hold on. <laughs> and even uh, even if like you, let's say you've got like a nice beefy computer. Like for instance, I've got I've got a a decent processor. It's got a lot of cores. Um, and most of the time, I'm using you know I'm not I'm not using all of them. So even if you like, let's say you have one computer, but it's a good computer. Uh. And you want to still be able to mine. Well, you can set it to use four, six, eight of the cores and not use all of them. So you can just have it using part of your CPU and not all of it, but you'll still be contributing. Uh, and that's interesting what HPS just said, that Hashfault had a 1.4 gig hash spike last week. Hmm. HPS, jump on. Tell us about it. Yeah, if you have any speculation. I mean, what, do you, what do you guys think about the fact that, you know, Monero, it's obviously anybody can mine with the CPU, but it, it really is not that profitable or for most isn't profitable. What do you guys think about that issue? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's what I was getting at with the, with the price thing and the on-off ramp thing too. There are a lot of people that would absolutely mine it at a loss, by the way, 
if they could just take the 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 value of the XMR and quickly go buy stuff or quickly, you know, get cash for it or whatever. Yeah. Um, and this is another example of like, it, you may not be tech savvy, but believe it or not, you can improve the the hashing power of Monero by just being a local Monero exchanger, right? If Because if a tech savvy person can walk down the street and trade you some XMR for some cash, they a lot of them, that's all it would take for them to get involved, right? Or another thing is, is um the, the i'm not a big fan of like the the buy and hodl buy and hodl model as like a answer to the price thing but it plays into it where if you're storing at least a decent percentage of your disposable wealth in monero and you know you don't budge from certain price points because you know what it's actually worth what you're doing is you're increasing the hashing power because now the demand for the monero that's being mined that needs to be liquidated for covering the cost or for buying the groceries or the people who are knocking this out. And then the last thing is, is like with the Monero Noto project, yeah, running your Monero node and having access to a, the, all of the functionality of a light wallet while simultaneously having all of the privacy of a full wallet, that's an incredibly attractive proposition on its own. But beyond that, building out from there the tech to have a plug and play automatically updating Monero miner that meets the the threat model of the average miner would be unbelievably valuable to the to the stabilization of the hash rate especially if the default is when you plug in when you plug this in you are automatically mining on a peer to pool system um so all of this ties together and if it, you know this is another reason to keep up uh, you know watch your monero talks to keep up with the latest developments on all of these things because if if you want to reduce there's all kinds of little solutions and changes that can be made to try to prevent like a nano pool from taking over but the real solution is to continue to build out the infrastructure a lot of these things only exist because of the the, the market cap of Monero and, and um, the need to continue to grow out the existing economy. And I think a lot of people that um, a lot of people that do it, like obviously, you know, there's like it's quite a large hash rate and this this won't be for everyone. But I think a lot of people like um, was the guy that just commented forever metalhead. Uh, a lot of people just do it at loss because they just want to be able to help the network. Um, and how many people that is, I don't know, but I feel like there's a decent amount of people like that because, like, pretty much everyone I know that does mine, they're like, yeah, you know, it's it's not really making me anything. It's at a little bit of a loss because yeah, you're gonna get, you're gonna end up earning some XMR, but it's probably not gonna make up for the energy costs, especially if you live somewhere where the energy costs are really high. But they just do it because they they like Monero and. At some point, maybe, you know, there's a realization where like, oh, because of how low the fees are for Monero, it like ends up making it like worth it for me to to mine, even though I'm on a little bit of loss there, just because the fees of using it, especially if you use it a lot, are so freaking low compared to something else. Hmm. But like, you know, Alaska Ana was suggesting too, it, 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 you're getting a lot for that electricity spend, right? You're getting KYC free. Yes. Yep. Uh, freedom money right freedom freedom gold digital gold KYC. It's, it's legal money laundering if you think about it because you know your energy bill is a bill your energy bill is a cost of living and your monero is off the grid 
Um, I mean, I'm not saying that that's something that I do, but that maybe theoretically might be. Something. Yeah, I'd rather pay <laughs> to support the Madero than uh, for hashing. You know, would be a, a great pay for other financial services. Um, but uh, yeah, this is uh, this article. This is uh, going off of one of the previous ones of Tornado Cash founders charging arrested by U.S. government. Um, and then we've got this another bricks post, a very a very long um, by Megatron. Oh, we could skip that. I mean, we uh, kind of Rick summit. Um, then we've got uh, the EU just voted to let banks hold two percent of their capital in BTC. Uh, and laser eyes are going crazy about this, of course. As Rudy's report, the Economic Affairs Committee of the European Parliament on Tuesday approved a bill to implement the final stage of the post financial crisis global bank capital rules, Basel three, starting in January 2025. It stipulates that. Uh, volatile cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin will be considered the riskiest investment. All right, but it's a, a step in the in the right direction. It's good to see. Yeah. Yep. I I don't actually know that it is a step in the right direction. And one of the things that concerned me about this is the the prospect of dumping. Hmm. So what I mean by that is, oh, if you have dumping. these big institutions that are using other people's money to collect significant portions of the total market cap of crypto you're also creating a means by which they can dump into the market to push the price down or they can buy into the market to artificially inflate the price and two percent of a trillion dollar market cap is a lot of bread so like blackrock etf kind of thing right yeah and i think that a lot of people are very short-sighted when they think about yay my institutional adoption (laughs) it's like yeah the institutions are part of the reason why the dollar sucks (laughs) they have this x amount of control over this what's supposed to be a heavily decentralized currency so yeah it's it's, i guess in a way it's good to see um because it's like the whole idea of well at least they're you know starting to accept bitcoin which you know does give people the sovereignty but bitcoin is kind of like a very uh, a very compromised version of what a a digital currency really should be already uh but i mean yeah, overall yeah. what we're seeing is the competition of money right and the competition it's, of money yeah i think yeah, that's well, sort of with things like the bricks um you know and what's you're you're seeing all these different uh evolutions of money take place where they're competing to be the best form. One other thing that concerns me about this is, uh, okay, so with Monero, these exchanges are the means by which they can do uh, uh, reserve banking, right? Where because you, it's a little difficult to audit when some of these snaky, sleazy people, whether or not they actually hold keys to the Monero that they pretend to be selling. Um, Now, with the transparent blockchains, it creates a little bit more of an issue for uh, fractional reserve investment. But that's kind of what I'm getting at is this may be their answer to not being able to do fractional reserve with these transparent cryptos. And it will also have an effect on Monero where, you you know, the, that effect where if Bitcoin goes down, well, Monero must go down. I better sell, sell, sell. And then they use that to scoop up the the, the Monero that they're going to use for fractional reserve. Um, it, it's And I'm trying not to make it like super complicated when I talk about it, but suffice to say it. it works in the favor of giving the same people who have been using fractional reserve to keep everybody slaves in the first place. They now have a vehicle by which they can fractional reserve something that is the whole point of Bitcoin was that, oh, you know, if, if a Bitcoin is traded, then a Bitcoin is traded. 
Well, they can take a huge chunk of it off the market and then they can wait until the, the timing is better for them. And then they can sell it off into the market, crash the price, buy it up somewhere else, low key, and then sell that supply back into the tax supported, government funded, you know, slush funds where the slush funds will pay more. But the people who bought it at the low paid less and they can it's it works to basically incentivize even more corruption when you do these kinds of things. Because remember, if they have two percent of their assets in Bitcoin, well, they're going to lend out a thousand percent of their assets in loans. So you're attaching a a solid currency like Bitcoin or sort of solid currency like Bitcoin to fractional reserve loaning as well. And that's 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 exactly what they were trying to get rid of when Bitcoin was created. Yeah, just to kind of um, echo that and, and provide an analogy. Think about how gold is its own sovereign bearer asset. And what did they do with gold? They Because it, it has portability problems um, and has risk when you, when you move it, um, it got locked up into vaults and then they were able to fractionally reserve it. And they basically took control of having sovereign reserve money um, by fractionally reserving gold. Um, and then what do they do with gold? They suppress the price. They, they want to keep people in stock market. They want to keep people anywhere but having a sovereign asset. Uh, and so we've seen them create all these mechanisms to suppress the price of gold um, with paper gold and uh, and trading on these various um, commodities exchanges like the COMEX and, and whatnot, the LIBOR. So the more and I, and I don't think like a lot of people that are like super pro Bitcoin, they think that they're winning as the government integrates Bitcoin. And in some ways they are. But they're also like that also builds out the infrastructure by which Bitcoin's price can be ultimately capped at some level. Um because again, kind of, um, kind of like Alaska Anon said, as they integrate this, they're going to create the control mechanisms for price. They're going to have paper traded Bitcoin on lots of different markets. Maybe they can add it to their reserve assets, so now they can fractionally reserve, or they can create more dollars on the basis of the Bitcoin that they're fractionally reserving. Again, because of the port- portability problems that Bitcoin has. Yes, when no one's using it, it's highly portable. But the moment that people start using it, it becomes very unportable. Lightning Network doesn't seem to be solving this. So all of the other proposed solutions right now are stuff like Fediments and and um, and custodial solutions, which are not real solutions. So like this is a double edged sword for anyone that's, um, you know, pro Bitcoin here and uh, and pro institutional adoption. This is like the beginning of the end of mad gains, if you will, for Bitcoin. The fiatization of Bitcoin. Get ready for a wild ride to the moon, guys. <laughs> our, uh, our compromised currency that's going to end up not being any better than the fiat system. Lambo now plucks. Uh, so last, I think this is, yeah, last article we have is this one's um, pretty crazy, but KYC mining pools have more than 50% of the Bitcoin hash rate. Yeah, this blew so, me away. I didn't yeah, know. That. This is like, like just going into the fact of like the, the kind of culture that Bitcoin has been co-opted into, where it's just, instead of it being this whole like, free private thing where people have full sovereignty over themselves and their ability to mine and their ability to use the money people are just willingly giving up these informations to use a mining pool right not even just to mine so it's a mining pool can we please just look at the irony of the names of those two pools foundry and ant pool it's just like you have got to be kidding it's like they might as well just call it like slave pool or servitude pool or 
And of oh course, God, it's in, uh, this one's U.S. based, Founder USA, and Antipool is Chinese based. Uh, so that's it's that's like the the bug men have a, a pool that's literally called Ant. Right? <laughs> I mean, is isn't this the scenario that we've been yelling about from the top of our lungs that would happen in in Bitcoin? And the Bitcoiners kind of said, "No, this would this something like this would never happen." Don't do this, kids. Your hash rate matters. Send it to only pools that deserve it. Well, I guess nobody listened to uh, nobody listened to this fine gentleman here. Yeah, well, uh, at least fifty percent so of people did not. <laughs> what do you guys see? Is be, is this the inevitable trend for, for Bitcoin, or is there? Is there Giacomo can beg everyone to send their general. hash power. <laughs> Giacomo can beg everyone to send their their hash power to um, non KYC pools, but there are studies out there. At least one study that I read that showed that 50% of hash power is controlled by 0.1% of the entity. So like mm. you can beg people to do it, but if you don't have decentralized mining <laughs> and it's all controlled by large corporations, oh, that 0.1% uh, corporation and government. Could I point out that the timing of this couldn't be more hilarious too. So like the minute that all of these people are like, Oh, I can be a reserve asset now is the minute that the 1% literally have over half of the wealth generation mechanism like it's you can't separate the timing of this from all of these other stories about bitcoin that keep coming out like and then the the laser eyes they just can't help themselves they're just like let's march right into the concentration camp as fast as we possibly can i don't know just it just seems like the walls are really closing in on the bitcoin mining body said though if it's true that like that much of the um the bitcoin hash rate is controlled by 0.1% of entities and that's like well i mean at that point it's already like what's you know is this really the worst thing compared to that right like it's like all right so the 0.1% of entities it's like what like it's got to be people who own just a crap ton of uh a crap ton of asics and have a large control of like you know big mining uh businesses or like even government Potentially. I don't know any details. Just so do just when, FYI, when, that was a twenty twenty study that, that said that. Right. So I mean how how crazy do you guys see this getting? What do you see as being the future of the Bitcoin mining network? Do we does the fu- is the future of Bitcoin look like a, a system wherein essentially transactions are are censored at will? That there are these these lists that uh, you know, whatever OFAC compliant lists, and all all miners now now follow these regulations. Is that the future of Bitcoin? I mean, they're already you know starting to like you know censor at like the um not not the um the actual protocol level, of course, but like on the end for like centralized services of like oh you got tainted coins. But mm-hmm. at some point, I mean, like especially because of how like we're just talking about the Monero where it's like everyone, you know, there's a bunch of people in the comments saying that they mine Monero because they can, it's easy for them. All they need is, you know, a basic computer to just add a little bit. But with Bitcoin, like I don't know a single person. I don't, I don't know anyone personally that mines Bitcoin because you can't, unless you buy one of these, uh, you know, ridiculous ASICs. I mean, even then you still can, but it's like, it's really meaningless. Uh, like, what, what is Giacomo's current argument as to how this, how Bitcoin won't be become completely captured and susceptible to censorship by governments at will. I'm, I'm, I'm just not even seeing the argument anymore. What is the argument? Who who's who's going to mine Bitcoin and, and validate these transactions? That you know that you get a take on that body. I don't think he has an answer. Um, it would be <clears throat> it would be nice to put it to him and say, hey, yo, like, what is your solution? What do you think is going to happen? How is this going to develop? And what mechanisms do you see there? for your your vision of the future actually happening 
but I don't, I don't think that he's got any good answers. Like it's the direction was set two years ago. It was very clear. As soon as Mara announced that they were going to be marathon digital announced that they were going to be doing, um, uh, compliant blocks that was like, Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah, of course, because all of the hash power is known and Bitcoiners like to say, Oh, we'll, we'll just move to a different country. We'll just move to a friendly jurisdiction. Mm, China already kicked you out. So there's like one eighth of the world that you're, you know, the population you're not allowed to mine in China now. Um, so the world is kind of like closing, closing in, it's getting smaller. There's only so many times you can move countries before you're out of countries to move to. Oh, and by the way, that's very cost prohibitive. Um, like it's not, you can't just like pick up your mining farm, find a friendly jurisdiction that will let you use their electricity, um, on the cheap and then move all your shit and construct a whole new mining. Like that's, that's such a difficult thing to do. Um, so it's like, okay, at some point, like you can see where this is going at some point. All of the mining is going to be have made their KYC deals. Like, why would they make a KYC deal with the United States or with the government only to then leave? Like, they're not going to do that. So at some mm -hmm. point, um, probably FinCEN or some kind of like regulatory framework is going to emerge across all of Bitcoin mining. And they're very likely going to try and pick up the OFAC compliance again. They're going to at some point, they're probably going to start orphaning blocks. Maybe that doesn't have to happen soon, but you can definitely see that's the clear direction. The momentum is towards that direction. And eventually transactions are going to be censored. And even if you have some miner in Kazakhstan or whatever, that's that's going to mine an OFAC censored transaction, their block is just going to get orphaned. So no one will be mining prohibited transactions at some point. Like that's that's where things are going. And unless some major change happens, some major change to their ecosystem, it's it's not going to stop going that direction. I, I don't think they have a good answer for that. They'll probably just yeah, distract it to something like price. <laughs> right. And what's crazy is this is kind of what we were saying before in the other story. And all while this is happening is that the price of Bitcoin will likely continue to go up. <laughs> this will effectively be good news. Um because it's going to mean that Bitcoin is going to be more integrated into the state, right? And uh, it's going to get to the point where they're not threatened by it, uh, but it's just this perfectly traceable and controllable piece of digital property that people it are already was like, you know, storing their wealth in, but, re but really are they? I mean, uh, it may have dollar value, but it's uh, completely surveilled and censored at will. I want to add some good news to this, though, for the based Monero enjoyers out there, such as ourselves. Bitcoin has basically volunteered to become the test net for centralized mining. And they have basically de facto volunteered to demonstrate the consequences of compliance. And it, we're also going to learn a lot about managing orphaned blocks for future Monero development from all of this. Um, it. it, it as a person who started as a hardcore Bitcoiner, like, you know, a hundred bajillion years ago, you know, there's part of me that dies a little inside every day, even though I didn't even realize I still miss Bitcoin. But like the, the thing is, is I can also recognize that it is doing a great service to Monero development by following this path, because it will allow us to further harden and resist all of all of this, you know, um, and very little is known about orphaned blocks other than what's done on these these small scale test nets. But Bitcoin is about to give us all of the data we could possibly need about compromising with the enemy. All right. Great points. Great points. OK, moving on. Tux, anything else? Was that our last story? That was the last story. Yeah. Um, 
Paul, do you want to make mention of what what was this uh, these new tax reporting rules that came down? Yeah, so it was um I think it was a couple of days ago the IRS released um it's like rulemaking. So you had the infrastructure bill that was passed last year, um, which had a bunch of new stuff for crypto. So then on the basis of that, the IRS says, Oh, okay, with with the new guidance, with the new legislation, uh, here are here is the proposed rulemaking that we suggest on the basis of that legislation. So it's not like in effect yet, but I mean it's probably going to come into effect. And there was some pretty crazy stuff in there. Um it to, to, it's hard to summarize. It was a 200-page document. I didn't read all of it, but um, I think I got through most of the key points that were important. I slogged my way through it yesterday. Jeez, it was that was a tough read. <laughs> and I think they make it arcane sometimes on purpose. Like, they really could have said some of this stuff a lot easier. And it seems like why, why did y'all be verbose when you could have been could have phrased it simply? Okay, so here's a. I took some screenshots. So here's something that um that I screenshot and highlighted. It's about being a broker or a facilitative service. It says that um, any service that effectuates a sale of digital assets, so you're talking like effectuate is such a broad word. It can basically mean anyone that helps to make the thing happen. So any service that directly or indirectly effectuates a sale of digital assets, such as access to an automatically executing contract, access to an asset trading platform, asset to a market maker, matching services, or market making functions, or escrow or escrow-like services. All of these things are things that they are now going to consider a facilitative service that are required to report on their um, on their customers. So it's like, and they also said a lot of DEXs are going to be included in this. Some of the things that they said, like they might as well have had just said Uniswap because <laughs> some of the like some of the language they used just literally described Uniswap. Um, and they said that but like, how essentially is Uniswap going to do that. So then Uniswap is going to KYC their customers. So um, so you have to understand. So uh, let's take Tornado Cash because this was like a very instructive example. There are the contracts that live on chain that are automated, trustless, and cannot be modified. Um, But there's also the access point into those contracts. Like, okay, well, how do you construct the transaction? How do you find um, other people? Like, how do you find people that have liquidity in those contracts? Well, there's usually a front-end UI. There's a website typically. Um, like one inch.io, matcha.xyz, even MetaMask. Um, a lot of stuff that they said, like I read through some of their examples, they might as well have just said MetaMask because they talked about um, providing a wallet that you hold your own keys, but that the wallet provides access into um, smart contracts or access into different functions such as market making and escrow. Um, and they help to, they help the matching, cert, right? They, they run a matching engine. They run, they find all the, the, the orders that could meet the thing that you wanted. Like I want to buy shitcoin X. And then they find the, the order book and they provide you the order book. They consider that to be where, well, that front end UI, you could ask your customers to KYC um, because they want they want all of these front end UIs effectively to report on these transactions and to start conducting KYC. And critically, they said that if you are able, if like if it is something that you can do, um, then we consider that uh, that you you are in a position to do it and that you are required to report on your customers. The other thing that they said, you asked about Uniswap, and here's the specific answer. They said that if you have shown that you are able to release a replacement contract for an old contract, then we consider that you are sufficiently in control of that platform to release a new version that does require KYC. Um, they talked about now, now here's the critical part of this. Again, it relates to profit. So, and they really buried this deep. But um, when the, when you talk about brokers or facilitators, they talk about in the course of your ordinary business, 
for consideration. And for consideration, that phrase for consideration is a specific legal term, which basically means that you gain some kind of benefit um, to your business. That could be profit, but it could also be other kinds of benefits that are directly related to your business. So again, um, the, there was kind of like, it was, it was pretty broad, broad reaching, but there was a silver lining here where they, again, effectively said, it's about whether or not you make profit and about whether or not you have central control to permission people. So if you're developing, like if you're licensing software um, to users and you're, and you're collecting a fee from them using your software, that is where they're going to presume you to be able to collect information and demand that you send that information, that KYC information. And then again, the amounts that are actually being traded, they want all of that data and they're going to try and get it. So developers are going to have to figure out how to fund their stuff without getting profit directly from contract execution or from front end UI execution. It's like take all of the things we learned from Tornado Cash and then kind of like apply that in a broad a broad way across like smart contracts in the ecosystem. Last thing I'll say about it, notably, they disincluded anyone that's actually just validating transactions, whether and they specifically said whether proof of work, uh, proof of work or proof of stake, that validators of transactions across a network are not going to be considered covered here, that they won't have to report and if you're making a wallet that only facilitates the transfer of funds with the, via the access of private keys without adding in all the extra contract crazy fanciness stuff, those are excluded. So that was kind of like a silver lining as well. Again, so it's really complex. It's very nuanced. Un unhosted wallets, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they even said unhosted wallets that provide you access into smart contracts will be covered. Like you can, they can, they're going to try and demand unhosted wallets. Like like MetaMask, They're, they don't host your funds. You hold your own private keys, but they provide you with an interface into trading and contracts on Ethereum. So like they're gonna they're gonna consider, for example, MetaMask on the basis of the examples I read. They're going to consider MetaMask as an entity, as a facilitator, a facilitating entity and or broker that has to do reporting. So Yo, it's disgusting. it's coming, guys. Like it's all coming. I mean, do you, do you think we we see any steps forward from this? Like where they try to you know even push it further where customers of cake you need, need to be kyc'd i mean i don't i don't know how they then get cake I to uh, report on the holdings of their customers that wouldn't be possible but it would almost have to i i don't know um, maybe I just mean, cake is knowing who the customers are i don't know that's a good question because cake is not actually making the swap they're just providing a connection point into someone else that makes the swap so if cake doesn't know the amount that you're swapping so that was another like critical thing they, that they kept saying over and over again. If you're in a position to know the amount that's being traded, the actual like um, you know cash value amount or equivalent fiat amount, whatever. If you know that information, then like you're kind of automatically putting yourself into a position where you might have to report. Uh, it would totally depend on the cake on cake's backend implementation. So someone could maybe comment on that, but. I mean, they are making a fee from that and they are like helping to facilitate that exchange. They, I don't know if they're make, like directly doing the order book matching. I think they're just piping that off to someone else who does that in the background. But um, there's like a pretty significant chance that Cake might end up falling under that. But again, guys, I'm not a lawyer. I, you know, I'm an advanced pleb that reads some stuff uh, and, and learns legal terms. And let us know how that works exactly. <laughs> It's yeah, it's a big else. deal. Like it's something that a lot of a lot of people, a lot of wallets are going to have to take into account. Now. All right, <laughs> um, great show, guys. As always, we didn't have our our guest this week, but we we went as long, if not longer, than usual. Uh, no shortage of content. Lot lots of happenings. I think we'll call it there, right, Tux? That was all the news. That was all the news. Yep. 
All right, guys. Yeah, we're going to call it there. I have uh, some personal things to take care of today. I'm sure all of you would like to continue on with your day as well. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. These shows are every Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Tux, man, thanks for running the show. Uh, Alaska, man, thanks for jumping on as usual. Please, please continue to do so. We love your takes. Body, thanks for everything you do on the show. Digoon, thank you, man. Um, and thanks to everybody else that participated. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks for everyone coming on today. Uh, I will mention, since we didn't get to run the guest segment, that this episode of Minertopia is sponsored by Cake Wallet. Uh, so I need to want to make sure I got that in there. Uh, but yeah, thanks, everyone. Uh, have a good rest of your weekend. All right. Ciao, guys.